Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Happy Monday, everybody. We've got something special for you today. Uh, and I want to take a second to do a couple of quick announcements before we jump into it. Um, if you haven't listened to last week's episode about Alien with Kathleen Kralowek, it's fantastic. Make sure you download that and check it out. Um, obviously, that's like an all-time great horror movie, and it was a really fun episode to do. Uh, next, this coming Friday... We are following that up with an episode about the sequel to that movie, Aliens. Uh, and we have an amazing group of special guests. We have Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, the creators of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, who came on to talk to us about this very gooey and wet horror movie about these very gooey, wet aliens. Um, so that's going to be this week. Make sure you check that out. Mark your calendars, whatever you've got to do uh, to listen to that. Uh, if you haven't listened to the Thrilling Adventure Hour, I mean, this is a, a great opportunity to get introduced to it. Um, it's, a, it's a great podcast and one of the like first narrative podcasts I listened to that got me really hooked into checking out narrative podcasts. Um, now, that said, after that, for the next two months in June and July, we are doing an extra long Pride celebration. So every week... For the next two months in June and July, we will be watching a new movie that has uh, either LGBT characters and or themes, uh, probably both in some respect. Not all of them handle it great, but all of them handle it. So um, we'll do that. And we're going to be having some great guests on, including, you know, some of our uh, some of our favorite returning guests and some great new ones. Uh, so make sure you check that out. We're also going to be doing some feed drops of some of our favorite episodes about LGBT horror that we've done already in our, our first you know year of, of doing this um, So we're gonna be putting those in the feed on Mondays just like uh, our episode today is coming out and then on Fridays We'll have the brand new episodes and uh, on Wednesdays, you know, we'll have fun stuff in between as well um, So be sure to check that out and stay with us all, all summer for that uh, today what we have is an episode of the talking comics podcast that uh, ben and I were on our friends Steve and Bronwyn, who uh, you know are are on and run that podcast. Asked us if we would like to come talk about Mortal Kombat, the brand new 2021 sort of remake, sort of adaptation, sort of its own thing. Um, it was a lot of fun. It's a really uh, strange and great movie. And if you guys haven't saw seen it, well. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna spoil it just as much as we do anything else that we talk about on this show. So, uh, I would advise you if you are interested in seeing it without having it spoiled for you to go check it out. I'm sure whether you listen to this first or not, you'll have a good time watching it. Um, but that said, uh, here it is. This episode features uh, me and Ben, as well as Stephen Bronwyn and our friend Elia Chavez and Kathleen Kralowek, who is uh, you just heard on the Alien episode. So it's a uh, it's a great time, and I hope you guys have a great Monday. Stay horrified. 
Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to a very special Talking Comics podcast. My name is Steve Say, and today I am joined by microbiologist of the stars, Bronwyn Kelly Say. Hello, everybody. Hello. Comics writer and host of the Progressively Horrified podcast, Jeremy Whitley. Hey, I'm glad not to be doing introductions. (laughs) (laughs) Comics creator and co-host of the Progressively Horrified podcast, Ben Kahn. Hello, hello. Comics writer and founder of Wicked Suit Productions, L.A. Chavez. Yay, I'm also here. (laughs) (laughs) And comic book creator and Oracle deck creator, Kathleen Kralowick. Hello. 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 Mortal Kombat! (laughs) (laughs) So this is it. So we teased this on the regular podcast, our Wednesday show. And uh, you know what? I'd anticipate this was my most anticipated movie of 2021 for reasons. Uh, We'll get into that a little bit later, but I very much wanted to get together with some good people and talk the crap out of this movie. It's not necessarily comic book related, but we're just going to pretend that it is. Uh, Everything's comic book related. Eventually I will go on my tangent about why Mortal Kombat is legitimately the closest like franchise I found, like I think, to Marvel and DC, to recapturing Ooh. that superhero, that shared yeah superhero magic. It's the MKU, if you will. Which, yeah, that was actually <laughs> one of the things that they they pitched it to us as. Okay, so I just want to get this out of the way, really quick. Uh, and if this sounds like a brag, it's because it totally is. I was. <laughs> Contacted by Warner Brothers and flown out to Australia back in November of 2019. And I was fortunate enough to visit the set of Mortal Kombat while they were making it. And so my expectations, my my anticipation and my kind of ideas (laughs) as to what this movie was going to be were very colored by this set visit that I went on and the information that they gave us that day. I'm very pleased with the with the finished product, but you mentioned the idea of this being like an MCU or, or a DC product. One of the first things that they told us when we got there was that they are looking to kind of build their own universe like the MCU and the DCU because there are upward of like 85 characters in the Mortal Kombat universe. And so they're looking to do like if they can, if it holds like a five movie deal to tell this epic story that they have in mind. Uh, I believe the first three are already plotted and then they would, you know, continue on from there for four and five. But uh, so far the success of this movie has been pretty tremendous, all things considered during COVID. 
and uh, we're going to talk the living crap out of it. So if you have not seen the new Mortal Kombat movie, you should probably go and do that because this podcast is going to be filled with spoilers. We are literally going to be talking about it scene by scene, making jokes, observations, all the things. So yes, and it's wait, streaming wait, on wait. home box office maximum right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh, if you were fortunate enough to see it in a theater, let alone an IMAX, lucky you. And uh, yeah. What so, are you doing? Well, yeah, that's the other <laughs> thing. That's the other part of it. So what we're going to do first is we're going to talk a little bit about our personal histories with Mortal Kombat just to kind of get warmed up. And then we'll call spoilers once we are diving into the movie proper. So we're going to talk first encounters with the franchise. Uh, I'll go quick. I'll go real quick. There used to be a arcade in the Smith Haven Mall in Long Island, New York called Time Out. And Time Out was where you went when you were me. And if you were in the mall and people were going shopping, you just grabbed a couple of bucks and you went to Time Out. And one day I went in there and everybody, the, the Street Fighter machine had been abandoned. And I was like, what? I could just go up and play? What is this? And everybody was crowding around these two machines. They managed to get two of them. And I, you know, wormed my way in there and I saw Mortal Kombat for the first time. And once I saw one of those fatalities, I saw somebody get like uppercutted and thrown into a pit and the spikes went through their chest. And they're all, ah! it was like, oh my God, I put my quarters up on the machine, waited my turn and I fell in love with it and have been a fan of the franchise kind of in and out ever since. And uh, I was very, very, very hyped for this movie. This was a 11 years in the making, believe it or not, that this thing is. And so, Bronwyn, what was your first encounter with Mortal Kombat? Okay, well, my first encounter with Mortal Kombat was not entirely dissimilar. Uh, it was also at an arcade. I... <laughs> I had, was part of like a, I don't know, advanced program. And so I was being shipped out to a university for a class in Norse mythology, I think, like grade eight or, yeah, I think it was grade eight. And I, yes, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. And it was super fun. But the only ride I had into the city, because I lived in the boondocks in eastern rural Ontario. Um, so the only ride I had into the city was way earlier than the class started. So I got dumped into the arcade because what else do you do with somebody who's in grade eight on a university campus? <laughs> <laughs> and so I spent a lot of time learning how to play arcade games. And um, my only sort of skill with fine motor control is piano. So I wasn't hundred percent sure how I was going to do this, but then I found Mortal Kombat and I was like, mashy buttons. <laughs> <laughs> I can just Always smash a valid strategy. and things happen. And this is so much fun. <laughs> And so, yeah, my enthusiasm carried me really far through the first little bit of Mortal Kombat. Once it got more skill-based, I was out. But <laughs> Yeah, I kind of have the same deal. Jeremy, how about you? What was your first exposure to Mortal Kombat? Uh, so I feel like I've always sort of, I've been, I've grown up in a video game family. Like my my dad always played video games, you know, got my brother and I into video games early. And we were like a super big street fighter household like we never really got into virtual fighter or um all the many alternatives i think it was basically like street fighter and then soul caliber um it's kind of our thing uh it's 
it's weird to talk about with my parents because my parents have never been particularly conservative, but especially when I was growing up, they were very like uh, susceptible to moral bullying. Um, so like there was, you know, that whole period when I think most of us were younger where like Mortal Kombat first came out and there was this big like pushback against it from, you know, the Barbara Bushes and uh, Nancy Reagans of the world that were yeah, like, yeah, yeah so upset about how graphic and violent this was and how much it was screwing people up. Uh, I can't, I can't leave Tipper Gore out of that. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Faith. Yeah. She's, she's in there as well. Um, but like, they were very worried about me playing this. We couldn't play this or uh, watch Simpsons or uh, I definitely had a couple of uh, albums taken away from me at various points. <laughs> Um, but I think most of my experience with Mortal Kombat was either, you know, at, at arcades or at, uh, like a, you know, Walmart back when they had, you know, an actual setup where you'd play games there. Um, so I've, I've, I really just played the first couple, a handful of times. Um, I, I was a bit of a button masher at this because like Mortal Kombat requires like studying to be good at, which is a weird thing. Like. You know, you throw me into any any Street Fighter style game where it's like all the moves are down to back and A, down to front and B, you know, do a, yeah, the quarter circles. Up, hold down for, you know, two seconds and then press up and hit punch. Like, I got it. Mortal Kombat is like legitimately like you have to go study the book before you can figure out how to do any of the fatalities. Yeah. It's like up, up, down, A, B, A, B, down, up, 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 down. And that's like you have the guy's spine out. Yeah, you got to hold the block. You got to be standing in a certain position so that you're not too far away from them. There's a lot to it. And yeah, yeah don't forget so, the spin on your head, spit wooden nickels thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. I am the person who, on the rare occasions that I, I won, would sit there and like flail wildly in front of the other character before finally just kicking them. Oh, right. um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, no, nope, didn't get it. Didn't get the move. <laughs> the pre fatality <laughs> wobble. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you know my. The only character I ended up having any skill with was uh, Sonya. And Sonya was just basically like, she had a good like jump kick. Like you could, you know, you could go a long way with that jump kick. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Awesome. LA, how about you? What was your first exposure to Mortal Kombat? Um, gee, let's go all the way back to the nineties for a moment. Um, I mean, <laughs> first I, I think mine was a little different because I was, um, I grew up in South America and we didn't have a lot of the restrictions and the, the concerned parents uh, that you guys probably had. And um, my parents assumed all the video games were for kids, honestly. They never looked into it. They never suspected anything. It's like, Soul Calibur, yeah, that sounds for kids. Let's just, whatever. But um, <laughs> I remember I had a friend that I used to play the Super Nintendo a lot with. And we usually played uh, Street Fighter first, I remember. But one day he's like, dude. In Spanish, but you get it. You, know? you have to come with me. Yeah, I, I just got. You just got to see this, and it's like, you know how we play Street Fighter, right? This is like that, but for like adults. You know, I'm like you know, it's, I'm like all right. So what's the difference? Like <laughs> blood. <laughs> <laughs> like how much blood? Well, you just, just trust me on this, and we would, and he would show me, and uh, eventually he pulled a fatality off. I'm like, whoa, you know, right, right, yeah. Like, <laughs> And uh, yeah, I remember we played that for like uh, the next year or so, and uh, it was just like like a. Tra- I think it was the second or third. I don't remember uh, which one, but uh, no, I remember loving it. Especially, it was one of my first introductions to like ninja characters, which I love. You know, Scorpion and Sub Zero are icons to me. Um, 
Absolutely. So, yeah, it was great. Ben, how about you? What is your what was your first Mortal Kombat? So my exposure to the franchise, I think, is inherently different than everyone else. Because my first exposure was to the 1995 movie. Nice. Oh. That was really my first exposure <laughs> to it, which I think is like, it's the world and the lore and the characters. that I, Though Mortal Kombat is pretty much the only, it's really the only fighting game. I played aside from like Smash Brothers, if that counts as a fighting game. Sure. Like, honestly, I'll take it. I have no idea what I'm doing in Street Fighter or Tekken or Virtua Fighter, but give me a Mortal Kombat and, you know, I know how to freeze a dude at Sub Zero, no problem. <laughs> um, and so it was really the movie. And I think I'm a little younger than most of the people here. So, like, the, when the first came out in the. Like when the first game came out in arcades, I was toddler aged. So, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the, the movie. So the movie to me all the time. <laughs> but that first movie then was like really, really foundational. Like we are talking five years old. Like I can't believe much, your brain survived that movie not knowing the franchise ahead of time. Like we're pretty much talking the first live action movie I ever watched. Wow. That's not a Disney cartoon. Oh my goodness. Oh. Like that's how foundational. Like, my heart. This is so I, precious. Like I just to put this it, in context, the arcade game that I was playing in grade eight was the nineteen ninety-two release. <laughs> I was two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was not. <laughs> and, uh, so, and I, I've watched that movie probably at least once a year, every year since I've been five. Like, I would, I don't think there's really any argument that it's the movie I've seen more than any other movie ever made. Oh my god, that's amazing! Um, I love it so much. In terms of the video games, uh, I, my first exposure was probably Mortal Kombat 2, uh, which is like me and my dad and like the arcades and like the tail end of arcades being a thing, yep. at least in Connecticut. Um, and then when N64 rolled around, uh, me and my sister had Mortal Kombat 3. So, and we played that like just a whole lot in the N64 days. Yeah, I remember that. Wow. Yeah, Mortal Kombat has had a very, very long, long life at this point. Man, I feel old this episode. <laughs> Kathleen, how about you? What is your first exposure to Mortal Kombat? All right. I grew up in a little farm town, so yes. we did not have an arcade. <laughs> we did momentarily, but I think, if I remember right, the local mega church got it shut down pretty <laughs> fast because it was ungodly. So... <laughs> We did not have an arcade long enough for it to have that. And so- Oh my God, that would have been hysterical. An arcade with Mortal Kombat in. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. They, they, I think that Dance Dance Revolution was there and that was too obscene. For oh, that was no. controversial? For oh my God. I Everything is controversial. Literally the town from Footloose. You can't have those thought moves in the house of Christ. You can't have those moves. It's, ungod it's ungodly. God doesn't want to see that. I think me on a DDR machine is ungodly. I will agree with that. <laughs> 
I tried I it once on and almost DDR, okay. I did. Death. <laughs> I could never, I could never succeed at Dance Dance Revolution. My feet would just get tangled together. I just like, what? No. Yep. I have never been accused of grace, but I am good at pattern recognition. <laughs> Great. Very good. No, those patterns start scrolling up in like seven seconds in. I'm just, nope. I give up. Oh my god. Guy ain't got no rhythm. <laughs> oh my god. So I had no okay, like I'll just cut to the chase. I was really exposed to Mortal Kombat, like freaking what was it? Like two years ago. You exposed me oh, wow. to Late the bloomer. actual game. Okay. And I remember and that would have been Mortal Kombat eleven. Yes. In terms Whoa. of the gameplay. Okay. So that okay. would have been very recently, like two years ago. Yes. Yes. And so I have very vivid memories of my <laughs> first time playing this game. So, and, and it's like intro to this game. It's like these two characters. Hello. It's like it's like these two female characters. That's cool. It's like, oh, we're going to play our very first match. OK. And it's like, holy God, she just shot her in the face and then tore fuck, like your chest open. <gasps> Wait, she's her mom. She just did that to her own mom. What? What just happened? Wait, wait, and then and then I'm like, what just happened? What? Why did I just 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 murder my mom just for? It's like no, you're just sparring. I'm like, I murdered my mom just to spar. What? So I'm like, that was my first exposure very recently, and I'm like. Okay, I think I get it, maybe. And then I, after a while, I'm like, okay, okay, these are just like semi-indestructible, like, you real, this is yeah, why those it has bones, to those be bones so grow violent. right back. <laughs> they go right story back. Story-wise, for people less familiar with the Mortal Kombat lore, story-wise, having Mortal Kombat 11 being your first Mortal Kombat <laughs> is like having your first DC comic be Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's an amazing comparison. <laughs> yeah. Kathleen, oh, do you have any do you have any favorite characters? I've I I enjoy playing as that bug woman. Who is that? Who is oh yeah. Yes. The the crazy like toxic yeah, yeah, yeah. waste like wasp woman with all the bug stuff. I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna figure it She's out. She's got such good powers. She does. I I did another Mortal Kombat uh, podcast with the Whiskey Geeks, and I also called this character out and could not remember her name then. And then I learned it, and I immediately forgot it. Yeah, what's the Devora. what's her name again? Devora. Thank Devora. you. Devora. Yes. Because they sound like well, she's a bug, and bugs devour things, and devour <laughs> sounds scary. But how can we make it sound scary but also kind of sexy? Yeah. <laughs> and thus, Devora. Is that why she's called Devora? I I can only Quite imagine. Quite clearly, it's got to okay, be. Okay. I'll buy that. <laughs> All right. So other why than not? other than well, Devora, Deborah, and they just got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was Deborah until she became evil, and then she just changed one letter. <laughs> It actually is Deborah, but the bug lady accent has a real trouble with that, like, bees. The bugs ate it's the rest those, of the bees. It's those mandibles. Everyone this is Deborah. <laughs> and do you have uh, any favorite Mortal Kombat characters? So, I, I mean, from the movie, I mean, just Luke Kang is the coolest. Yes. Like if the, like Robin Chow as Liu Kang is just one of the coolest characters in any movie from the 90s. Uh but video game wise, uh you know, I was always big on Scorpion and Sub-Zero. Like I always thought like 
they they were flashy and cool and they were always kind of the easiest characters with the coolest powers to master like it wasn't very hard doing sub-zeros combos and special moves yeah and then come like deadly alliance uh i was i really liked playing as kung lao <laughs> so i was very happy of just how much uh kind of uh kung lao love this movie had yes yes <laughs> Yeah, Kung Lao and Katana, I think, were my two mains. And I would go back to Baraka every now and then just because I loved that, like, scissor move that he had with the blades. It was very cool. And that, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he's trying to, like, swat somebody away, like, play fighting, but with the blades <laughs> out. Amazing. Uh, L.A., who are your favorite Mortal Kombat characters? Are we talking movies or the games or both? Like um, Either. I mean, if we're I mean, Scorpion and Sub Zero, definitely are always being some of my the most iconic and favorites of mine because I love ninjas, like I said. But uh, Liu Kang, you know, like in the movie, like uh, B said, you know, really iconic. And uh, even in the new movie, I think he was one of my favorites as well. Um, also, Shansung from the '95 movie that just every time that guy's like, "Your soul is mine," I'm like, "Yes." Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and that eyebrows. was a glorious impression. Oh, my goodness. Right? Oh, my God. Great impression. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a, a character so good. Like, I'm, I have, I can't believe I'm blanking on the actor's name uh, who played Sang Sung in Mortal Kombat. Carl, um, uh, was it Carl? Um, hmm. Somebody Google it. Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa. Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa. A character so iconic. They just straight up made him like the like the face model and voice actor for Shang Tsung in the video games. And rightly freak him so. Yep. He yes. nailed it. Didn't they <laughs> like bring him every, back like, for, for the uh, DLC in 12? Well, yes. So he's the main. So he's like the main character of like the eleven DLC after after eleven. Eleven. Okay, that's one. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I just love it. All the other like they eventually did the movie skins. Yeah. It's like of the other characters that appear in the '95 movie, and Shang Tsung is just we just straight up changed the we just changed the actor. It's just the actor from the movie. (laughs) He doesn't have a skin. It's just the default character now. Nice. Amazing. Uh, Jeremy, how about you? What uh, What do you got for Mortal Kombat characters? Oh, um, you know, I got to say, I, th- I feel like it's weird that we've gone uh, this far without talking about uh, Mortal Kombat Conquest, the uh, syndicated <laughs> TV series. That, uh, <laughs> I definitely saw a handful of episodes on, on like, uh, uh, oh, it's pre-CW, so I guess it was UPN. Um this is also playing on the home box office uh, yeah. maximum. <laughs> no, I mean, that one, I feel like if you watch that, like the main character is Paolo Montalban is, you know, uh, Kung Lao. So like, it's hard not to love, uh, you know, that, that anything Paolo Montalban does. Um, but like, I feel like I was always the the one that was like, I just, uh, I just want Sonya to be great. Like Sonya's, not usually that great. She's just kind of okay. She's, you know, the, uh, you know, sort of the POV character. I think a lot of times she's the, you know, she's the human one, uh, <laughs> that, you know, she was, she's got special training, but she's not like 
born in a temple or from an alternate dimension or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or a Hollywood action star. (laughs) Or a Hollywood action star. (laughs) The best origin for a superhero caliber character ever. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I think, you know, other than that, uh, you know, of course, Scorpion and and Sub-Zero are sort of he said iconic and nobody nobody doesn't love yelling get over here oh my god um, right <laughs> yeah i i feel every like chance i get <laughs> so that we've also like sub-zero scorpion reflects kind of a problem the franchise has always had where if you look at the kind of like the main story of the first game and kind of onwards it's Liu kang and his allies like sonia and johnny cage and Jax and here are the most iconic and most popular characters in the whole franchise. And their story is really better off as a spin-off side story. <laughs> kind of up on its own thing. And they've, they keep trying to center them more in the mythology to varying degrees of success. Mm. And I feel like you see that a lot in that's, the 2021 movie. That's also, That's always been interesting to me, I think, because it is also very... It is also the same problem that G.I. Joe had, like, that, you know, predates Mortal Kombat by a good 10 years because, like, they were like, here are our main characters, uh, the, the white woman, the white guy, and the black guy, and here are the cool characters that you're going to follow around, want to follow, Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes, the fucking mythical ninjas. It's like, <laughs> well, shouldn't it be about them? No, it's about these guys. Okay. I feel like if there's a lesson to be had from there, it's that if you have a group of characters that includes ninjas and you're not focusing on the ninjas, people are only going to care about the ninjas. (laughs) So I guess what I'm saying is if the Valiant Cinematic Universe ever gets off the ground, that shit better center around Ninjak. (laughs) Well, they, they solved the problem. Valiant solved the problem. They made the snarky white guy the ninja. God, that is I mean, the solution. It's maybe the worst solution. It's not a good. It's a. It's it a very solution. It's an extremely Hollywood executive solution. But yikes! Ben, were you gonna say something real quick? Just spoilers, and whoever <laughs> decided that what if Lewis Tan had a superpower that specifically precluded him from ever being shirtless? Is vibradium? Right. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why would you right. give him? Why in God's name would you take that actor and give him a shirt-based power? You <laughs> monsters. Friendship bracelet. Arcana. Broadway I'm fine Hello. with the bracelet. I love the powers. I just hate that he's wearing a shirt. <laughs> I mean, it's Louis Tan. Do not exactly. put that guy in a shirt. Come exactly. on. Like, missed opportunities, people. <laughs> Bronwyn, how about you? Who are your favorite characters? Okay, well, again, this is sort of game versus 95 movie series versus 2021 movie because it's different for each of them. Um, like, from the games, because as I said, I... I my skill level topped out pretty early with the game. So I was definitely a Sub-Zero Scorpion fan. So just rounding out that whole, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, okay. Sub-Zero was it, but then you have to be able to say, get over here, you know? <laughs> so what I'm fascinated by is how they started out with like, oh, Scorp- Sub-Zero's the good ninja and Scorpion's the bad ninja. And then just the way they've been slowly 
but like Wolverine style Scorpion just becoming more and more of a protagonist. I know. I love it. It's amazing. Um, but like is a catchphrase. He can't be a hero. <laughs> <laughs> but he could be, be an anti-hero. <laughs> Uh, That's why okay. I think he should yell "Stay frosty" every time he freezes somebody. <laughs> Just work his way through all the Mister Freeze puns. Yes, please do that. Chill. The complaints about the ice puns always bothered me because I know that if I had ice powers, I would be making puns non-fucking stop every friggin' day, every minute of every day, a hundred percent. If I have superpowers, I'm going to think, yeah, what are the practical uses for this? Second thing I'm thinking is, what does this open up in the field of wordplay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Priorities, people. If I ever become a superhero, I'm hiring you to write my one-liners. Like, you get lightning powers. <laughs> it's like, okay, buzz, shocking, like, li- like lights. Like, we got a lot of, like, new puns to work with. Yeah, you know, exactly. And yet the most, like, the most iconic line from Raiden, the Thunder God, is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. oh right. my god so Bronwyn, so you're Bronwyn, you're a fan of the ninjas yes yes but in the movie in the 95 movie it's 100 percent Liu kang all the time because they didn't give him shirt powers <laughs> it's also uh it's when Liu kang actually gets to be the unquestioned main character oh and well and he's so funny like his reactions to johnny cage are perfect all of the time like god when he just drops the luggage in yeah into like, the water and oh, then made just me smiles so happy. and all it's about the money it's like he's charming and funny in oh a way god. that way too many versions of Liu Kang don't get to be right like his smile should be the main focus of that whole movie all of the time it just we as a society perfect. did Robin Zhao so dirty, not oh, making him a superstar after we Mortal were Kombat. legitimately talking about that like two hours ago. Yeah, like, where is he? He should have been everywhere. I don't know, fluffy hair and all from the nineties. Like that, that guy was glorious. His hair is so epic in that movie. After the the last movie yeah. I saw him in, which I I get, you know, it was uh, the Chun Li movie. Oh, <laughs> fair enough. <Oof. laughs> The scene, like we talk about the mummy as the great 90s, like by awakening movie. Fucking Mortal Kombat, Wu Kang and Katana on the beach. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That moment right there. (laughs) Those arm holds. Yeah. All right. Uh, But like in the 2021 movie, there's a few characters in there that got. I like that when they're fighting in that movie in the beach, you know, um, Shang Tsung is watching. And he's like, come on, get it over with. <laughs> that's why. And then I, I'm sitting there thinking, slowly, slowly, it's too much. That's had the rush. Of, ah! <laughs> oh my God. That's one of the reasons. I appreciate you. Why <laughs> I kind of don't really pay attention to the criticisms of the movie that are like, but it wasn't even the Mortal Kombat tournament. Because, A, if you go by the games, literally three of the 11 games have featured the tournament. Right. Like eight out of eleven have had no tournament at all. <laughs> That's so funny. And be fucking go the first movie. Show me the on the tournament structure what like how you're supposed to grade the match cancel due to excessive horniness. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't much of a structure tournament, yeah. 
There was no goddamn structure to that tournament. No. It was just a series of completely non-connected one-on-one fights that had nothing to do with each other until Goro came out. Like, I have no way. There were no seeds. There were no rounds. Nope. No. Nope. There was no point system. Until, there was no- until we see a blackboard or something with names, you know, and lines. <laughs> I'm not. I don't. I don't buy it as a. Can I get a bracket? Like. Yeah, yeah, see. yeah. You need to to be like pulling the names out of the side and then putting them underneath. I will, I will say, say I, like I I made that same argument about this Mortal Kombat after I first watched it. I was like, there's no tournament at all in it. Um, but at the same time, every every kung fu movie that's ever been based around a tournament, at some point the tournament falls apart. It never actually ends in like a meaningful way. Like. Enter the Dragon, which is the like quintessential kung fu tournament movie. There's no final round in that movie. Like at some point, they just discover like that the bad guy's evil. He starts killing people, and then the entire island starts falling apart as they have a fight on top of it. Like it is kind of hard to have. Yeah, regular tournament when you have bloodthirsty, actual murderous villains on the like trying to kill everyone. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> like, priorities. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, maybe we just stole the delay the Olympic like, Olympics in general. <laughs> Serial killers. Are, you I like flying when you see uh, Liu Kang and Shang Tsung have what is like okay, this is the final fight. Even though how we got here is bullshit, but you know the <laughs> the sensation that it's all come to this. You know, yeah. it's oh, so satisfying. Oh, that's such, that's such an enormously satisfying fight. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. But in terms yeah, of like I the, really like the fight with Reptile too, though. Mm. Yeah, that's one so of my favorites on that one in too. In the original, so kind of because I love this movie, I've watched everything I can and try to figure out as much of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, they did the original uh, cut. They did like made the original. They did all the original filming. And it, the main thing they were getting was there weren't enough fights and it was still coming in a little short. So they went back for reshoots to do two new fight scenes. Uh, but the original stunt director wasn't available. He was busy working on another movie at the time of the reshoots. <laughs> so they had Robin Shao direct the fights himself. Ooh. The two fights are Johnny Cage versus Scorpion in the Hell Dimension. Okay. And Liu Kang versus Reptile. Which choreography wise, I would argue are easily the two best fights of the whole movie. Yeah. 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 The reptile one for sure. And and even the the Johnny Cage one is uh has its moments. The only thing with the Johnny Cage one is that there is no universe in which Johnny Cage beats Reptile. Or Scorpion, you mean? Scorpion, Scorpion, sorry. Yeah. I don't know. What about Mortal Kombat 10 where Johnny Cage beats Shinnok, the elder god of hell? Like, I just, (laughs) I don't understand the Johnny Cage love. Like, I get it. I, you know, like, he's in, he's an iconic character. He is a douche canoe of epic proportion. (laughs) I feel like the first movie, again, it nailed his level. Like, he doesn't beat the villain, but like, yeah, he can beat Gora. Like, that's a good level for him. Like, the, the big bads, like main enforcer that's a good person yeah. for johnny cage to take out yeah and let me ask you since you seem to know everything about the 95 movie <laughs> did the jim henson company do the puppeteering and stuff for goro did they design that character oh i don't know Actually, i don't think so i know they like that animatronic was a crazy thing to, to operate and yeah it looks like, like it i love that his throne has four armrests 
<laughs> like it's a, important. It feels critical. Like, I mean, you know, ergonomics, man. Yeah. Again, that ninety-five like user Goro being like so much of it feels like the most advanced things could be right before CGI. Like I, Goro is like this is the most advanced like animatronic we can make and get shipped to Thailand <laughs> for all of our on-location filming in these insanely huge and elaborate practical sets. I kind of love the in the new one, I don't know if you saw it behind the scenes, but the new Goro is made by two dudes, you know, one's like mountains up of, up of the other and they're just punching at the same time. Yeah, on stilts, no less. Yeah, oh yeah I do love that, which the only, again, while I do hate that Cole's superpower is shirt, <laughs> mostly, mostly just because I don't like the idea of Lewis Tan wearing a shirt in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I do like that it's a practical effect, and they didn't just give him like a gray like onesie and be like, "Eh, we'll turn it into magical ba- bamboo armor later." Like yeah, it's an actual practical costume. Right. Right. All right. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to make an executive decision and <laughs> just say that around the table, the original Mortal Kombat 1995 and its its sequel, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, <laughs> questionable as though it may be, are both fun movies that you can get, you know, uh, a varying amounts of enjoyment out of. And uh, I think that we should maybe move on to our main event because otherwise we're going to be here until the next Mortal Kombat movie comes out. <laughs> But I still had 20 minutes of content about James <laughs> Remar as a Raven in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Wow. <laughs> All right, give me, no, ben, no. We'll, make a, we'll make a special <laughs> moment for you. Give me your one thing about Mortal Kombat Annihilation. It's a movie I enjoyed as a seven-year-old for the sheer sense of it's like, oh, all the characters from the game I have on the Nintendo. And then by the time I was 10, I'm like, this shit makes no fucking sense. Why do all of these characters disappear after one scene? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Why is yeah, Jax's character like that he doesn't need metal arms? Who the fuck wants a non-metal armed Jax? What the fuck, Mortal Kombat Annihilation? <laughs> <laughs> and it's basically the precursor to the like straight-to-video DOA, which will come out like oh yeah, 10 years later. And it's just like... All right, this movie is all fights and it's all wire work. Like, yeah. oh, no man. plot at all. They even managed to fit the volleyball in there. <laughs> Dead or Alive 3, that was my jam. Dead or Alive 3 and 4, so, so good. Brad Wong, what's up? All right. <laughs> so, moving right along, this is your spoiler warning for Mortal Kombat, Simon McQuaid's Mortal Kombat 2021. I'm going to go through some of the cast and uh, and all the people responsible for this movie super quick. Uh, you got directed by Simon McQuaid, written by Greg Russo and Dave Callahan, Louis Tan as Cole Young, Jessica McNamee as Sonya Blade, Josh Lawson as Kano, Joe Taslam as Bihan and Sub-Zero, McCod <laughs> Brooks as Jax, Matilda Kimber as Emily, it's Cole's daughter, Laura Brent uh, as Allison, Cole's wife, Tandanobu Asano is Lord Raiden, Hiroyuki Sonata is uh, Hanzo Hisashi and Scorpion, Chin Han plays Shang Tsung, Ludi uh, Lin plays Liu Kang, Max Huang plays Kung Lao, there's a lot of people in this movie, Sissy Stringer plays Molina, 
Mel Jarzan plays Natara. Almost there. Nathan Jones plays General Reiko. Daniel Nelson is Cabal. And Ian Streets is Ramirez. And there's a couple of more down here. Gor- oh, Angus Sampson is Goro. And Damon Harriman is the voice of Cabal. We'll get to that a little bit later <laughs> as well. I, I love this cast. Oh, it's 100%. It is absolutely incredible. Um, One of my favorite things from when I did the set visit that really, really warmed my heart the day that I was there was that from the very beginning, from the the moment that we stepped onto the set and spoke with a vast majority of the cast, we didn't get to talk to everybody, but a good deal of them. And Simon and, um, oh my God, Bennett, one of the, one of the producers, um, Everybody was emphasizing how much it was important to them to show the diversity of this cast and to cast the right people in the right roles and make sure that they were representative of these characters through and through. And that was, there was so much heart behind it. And it was a universal thing between all of the interviews. Like nobody was coordinating with anyone. Everybody was just so into being into this movie to see people from all around the world starring in this giant blockbuster movie that they planned on making. And, you know, thankfully the numbers, uh, the early numbers are in at least, and this movie has done exceptionally well, especially during the pandemic. And it looks like we're already getting the sequel to it, which is wonderful. And um, I just, I'm really excited that it's here and uh, I'm excited to dig into the details of this thing. One thing that immediately just struck me about this cast, especially in all of the interviews and, you know, just the difference between a movie uh, of this franchise from 1995 versus 2021. In 95, you'd have actors being like, yeah, I don't know. Video games are a thing. I didn't grow up with them. This thing came out three years ago. I guess we're doing a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Versus, you know, you hear like, I think like Makad Rookstein, like, I dressed up as Scorpion, like for Halloween as a kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe Taslin being like, I play like Scorp- Sub Zero was like my main. I played yeah. Sub Zero like every time I played the game, and you know you're just in that kind of like that second generation of a franchise when the people that grew up with it that have a deeper kind of respect and love for it kind of take the reins on the material. And I think that's just always such an interesting point for a franchise, you know, like in superhero comics when that kind of next generation of like Marv Wolfman and his generation start taking over as writers, you get the superhero writers who grew up with superhero comics. Yeah. You get that buy-in, right? Like you get the buy-in from the whole team and that it, you can feel that come through. So like, even if there are flaws and, and, and things about the movie that you don't like or, or whatever, that heart, that buy-in from the actors and from the, the producer and the writers and all that team, it, you, it feel, it can come through the way the movie actually comes together at the end. Right. So yeah. I feel like everyone's on the same page, like kind of, you know, connected with Ludi Lynn. I remember the power Rangers reboot. It felt like, all the Rangers play, like the actors playing the Rangers were in one movie and they were on one page and just, again, like five young up and coming hungry actors, like giving it their all. Yeah. And then you had, you know, uh, the established actors, Brian Cranston, Elizabeth Banks, and 
they felt like they were in a different movie, bringing a different energy and just a totally different level of passion. You can see that mismatch there. This movie, you can just tell like just the the passion and the seriousness and the love that everyone in this cast is like bringing to the movie. And it's, I, I'm happy this movie is a success because like, I love it and I want to see more. And I'm happy that these actors are being in a successful movie and it's good for their careers. Yeah. And there's a difference too, between like some, like for, like for me, when I walked into this, like I was super hyped because obviously Steve's trip was very exciting and I'd been hearing about it for so long and everything like that. (laughs) But, um, also, I mean, I have spent so much time with this franchise over my life, you know, like I've been playing the game since 92 and I've been watching the movies since 95 and I loved, loved, loved that movie. Like it was just part of my parlance, you know, it became part of my language, the things that I talked to my friends with, you know, and um, listened to that soundtrack constantly you know <laughs> i remember being in the back of my best friend's car and listening yes exactly i listened to it today it's a fucking jam it it's a fucking banger man slaps. it's so good it stabs <laughs> <laughs> oh my god they are generation you know, want to fight exactly <laughs> you know but it didn't take itself too seriously and this one doesn't either and like there's a difference between you know not taking the movie or the material too seriously and having fun with it and, and no, you know, but still giving it your all in a performance. And I think that this movie really kind of walks that line perfectly. You know, I was not expecting Oscar level story because frankly, Oscar movies, while a lot of them are fabulous and wonderful and worth watching. Oh my God. A lot of them are depressing and boring as shit. This is what I want in a movie. I have the filet mignon every time you get right? it. Right? Sometimes you just want no. a hot dog. Yes. <laughs> I really liked, I really, really enjoyed uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. I didn't need that tone or style to the Mortal Kombat reboot. I, I needed this tone. Like, I think they got it just right. Like, taking it seriously while still having so much fun with it. Yes. Like, I think the leg sweep scene. Yes. <laughs> just yes. nails it so perfectly that this movie knows exactly what it's doing. Every scene yeah. that Udi Lin is in. Oh, his gesturing. Exactly what he's doing. He's oh, amazing. my God. Have you seen <laughs> him on Instagram with his mom, where his mom keeps praising this movie by shitting on his roles in Power Rangers and Aquaman? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's interesting like the last time that uh several of us got together and talked about a, a, a movie involving a, a video game it was resident evil yeah. it's like take like this so this game doesn't or this movie doesn't really follow story-wise a lot of like what's in the the games but very much takes the energy of the mortal kombat games and yeah. the things that it knows you love about some of the characters and works that into their story. Um, and I, I think like that is something that Resident Evil did not do. Uh, <laughs> Resident Evil tried to make a completely different like genre of, of thing than what the, the actual game was. Um, you know, the, from, you know, from the a basic like pacing level to the plot, to what it's about, like, <laughs> um, yeah, the, I mean, it's, uh, what it's about. I, I don't. 
I don't feel bad well, saying that the Resident Evil movie is trash garbage. Um, it's, but, totally, like, it's totally trash garbage. Look, here's the deal. They kicked a dog. That was the most triumphant movie is her kicking a dog in the face. There's it's so nothing, good, though. There's nothing we can say that can truly dent that movie. The goal of that movie was make more and marry Mila Jovovich, and he succeeded wildly at both of those things. <laughs> there's nothing us, the snarky podcasters, can say that can take away from that success. No, I mean, he was- <laughs> He literally he, he nailed it. Yeah, but no. In terms of the plot, like you know, they've never done that. This particular plot of the movie where Shang Tsung is trying to kill Earthrealm's champions before the tournament can even start, so Earthrealm like can't even really compete. That hasn't been a plot, but wow, is that one thousand percent absolutely a thing Shang Tsung would do? Oh, totally. Every, every appearance in the franchise that Shang Tsung has appeared in leads me to believe, yeah, if he thought he could get away with it, he would absolutely do it. And I love that. He's just like, what the fuck are the elder gods going to do about it? Because if you know anything about the elder gods in this franchise, it's that they are completely useless, lazy Fox. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Not the old gods of Appalachia then. (laughs) No, it's just the elder gods. It's just every time the elder gods appear, it is only so like right. It can go like elder gods. Shao Kahn is fucking blatantly breaking the rules and the other guys are like i see no problem here <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah, let's I, I feel like that's or a not <laughs> in the movie in the way that it's put together because they do go uh well there are rules and they have to be followed or there's going to be some sort of consequence and then they're like hmm. i mean not in this movie maybe later who knows <laughs> he's like consequences ah <laughs> There won't be any consequences, and Raiden's like, ooh, I'm going to lock you out of my temple. I like what, we don't get very much of uh, Shin Han as performance as Shang Tsung, but I do like what we get. Because if we're going main villain, like, one thing I really like about the new movie is that there's really not a lot what you can one-to-one compare with the 95 movie. Uh, like, if you're going to compare, like, main villain, I would say you can't compare Shang Tsung to Shang Tsung. You can't compare Shang Tsung to Sub-Zero, but at the same time, they're wildly different villains doing different things in the movie. Mm-hmm. And in general, just the fact that it's not easy to directly compare the two is just something I really, really like. I, my only thing is that in the 2021 movie, you can sort of compare Sonya Blade to Sonya Blade. And wow, did she get a glow up. She yeah. is amazing in the 2021 movie. And like the 90, the 95 movie, like, you know, I love it. I am on record. I love it. <laughs> but it is like the classic hair move for a lady, like where they show her character development through her hair. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, you've all seen it, whether you know it or not. You've all seen it where she starts all uptight and her hair's all back and it's all smooth and straight. And then as she loosens up and gets, you know, more receptive to, oh, dear God, Johnny Cage, really? When Liu Kang is right there? Really? <laughs> but, know, right? OK, whatever. Um, and there's really only two directions your hair can go. Either you can let it down or you can cut it off. And those are two very different. I moves. mean, scenes. No, I'm disappointed. Hair, she doesn't just let it down. It goes curly. It goes fluffy. And she has bangs. 
Well, that only Shang happens ab- that only happens after she's kidnapped, which means at some point Shang Tsung was like, "Get the out realm boss stylist in here. <laughs> I want a blow. I want a blowout for the for the finals. She needs a blowout and a leather mini. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> She's like, my friends will yes. say to me, we're already here. How fucking long were you waiting for an intro line? She has right? such like the 80s hair in that scene. Oh too. She looks like, like an extra for the guar band. Yeah. You know? She's like momentarily, she's like, this yeah. This is snake makeover, you know? <laughs> I know, but, right? Yeah, no, like, like Jesse, no, Jessica McNamee's Sonia Cage is uh, Sonia, Sonia Cage. Oh my, yes. Sonia oh. Blake. <laughs> Don't do that to me. Don't play so, me dirty. <laughs> they get it. Sonia would never take uh, someone else's last name. Sonia Blade, her uh, her Sonia not only like has more fights, is not a damsel. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gets to be funny. She has more of like much, exactly. so much more of a sense of humor than yeah. she did. And really in most like interpretations, it. this is a way funnier Sonia than she normally is. And I really enjoyed it. Me too. You know, I think it was very satisfying. We, we can talk spoilers, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. I'm actually contemplating whether or not we should even go through this beat by beat because I think we're just in it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was going to say that I, I would think it was very satisfying because her whole arc is that, you know, she wants to be part of the club, but she doesn't have the marking. But by the end of it, when she does get it, it's like, yeah, you know, like. Exactly. Well, Super I feel satisfying. like even if we don't do beat for beat, we should start like the beginning and give ourselves yeah. like at least a little. All right. Well, here, let's, let's, let's start it. A little let's line. start it now. Start the and, and we'll try to hit some of the major points. Um, okay. So the film opens in 17th century Japan. With Hanzo Hisashi, uh, he's living in a uh, he's living a quiet life with his family in the woods, and then Bihan shows up, kills, like yeah, exactly, kills his family, he refrigerates his wife. I would yeah. like to say so. Stabs her with ice too, though. <laughs> yes, it's too early for there to be a refrigerator, but he does refrigerate. Well, that's one of the big changes to a whole new level. Yeah, that's one of the big changes they made. <laughs> right off the bat is making this in the 17th century, which I really like instead of the original canons, weird feuding feudal ninja clans of the 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, one of the, Oh, go ahead. It's got some real Frank Miller, Chris Claremont Wolverine, like, yeah, ninjas are still a thing in modern day Tokyo. Right. I'm going to do no research to confirm this. <laughs> so like, the characters have always felt like, like I don't know, just their whole ninja vibe feels a lot more believable if it's grounded in like the actual appropriate time period. Yeah. A little less racist, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, Absolutely. You know, all and nice. Again, and another big change, which I think makes sense grounded is traditionally Sub-Zero is framed for killing Scorpion's family. Uh, here he just straight up like ends them. Myrtleizes. He just ices the shit out of them. Yeah, myrtleizes yeah. the crap out of them. Although I gotta say, LA, that was amazing. I can't believe I didn't make the fridging connection before now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Them, yeah. <laughs> that was kind of amazing. I think again, I think if you're going to make Scorpion more of the protagonist, which they so which they've been wanting to do so badly in this franchise for so long. Then, especially knowing that you kind of have the like, okay, first Sub Zero is a dick, and then later turns evil, and you got a good Sub Zero later. It, re- I think, it does make sense that if you're gonna make Scorpion a protagonist, to then make the first Sub Zero more of an antagonist than he was in the original games and canon. Yeah, 
Yeah, when I was uh, visiting the makeup department, they had like mm-hmm. uh, concept art and stuff like that for a village that was frozen over. And I think they rewrote that scene once they were doing research on the weapons and they found out that a kunai used to be a gardening tool. And so they wanted to incorporate that history and stuff. And uh, so we got to see a village covered in ice and there was a woman and child and they actually had a, um, like a statuette, like a prosthetic of the child covered in ice inside the makeup department trailer. And so we were trying to get information as to what that was all about. And they were being very cagey about it. (laughs) And uh, inside of that room, there was a chart with all of the battle damage done to each character so that they can track all of the prosthetics and everything they would have to use. And at what point in the movie, kind of as markers as they would come in every day for their appointments. And uh, one of the things that I got to hold that was really cool that I think they eventually ended up going with um, a CGI uh, tongue for reptile in the scene where reptiles fighting Kano, but that tongue was an actual long almost like Lovecraftian prosthetic that had all kinds of barbs attached to it where the poison would come out of at one point. And so that's what they used to wrap around Kano's neck in that scene when he's getting dragged along. Was that thing actually attached to like a pole of some sort and pulling him uh, back toward the camera? It's pretty cool. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. So thinking about, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Well, so just thinking about, um, Sub-Zero versus Scorpion and like how this movie does it by like again making Sub-Zero way more of like the villain. I after I watched uh, this movie I went back and because I heard about the animated Scorpion's Revenge movie. I still haven't seen that. I had it feels like what I'm it feels like what the 2021 movie could have been easily could have been and I'm glad they avoided all of the missteps that this movie did because it really is let's try to mash the first movie with the scorpion sub-zero mythology like let's try to have that Liu Kang, johnny cage sonia blade trio but no longer give them all of the spotlight and focus that they need right. and jam it but they also try to make scorpion the protagonist while also keeping that sub-zero was framed so when you do eventually get Scorpion versus Sub-Zero, instead of being like the triumphant, like biggest climax of the fight, it just kind of ends up being a little funny because Sub-Zero is really confused and has no idea what's happening or why this crazy <laughs> demon man is trying to murder him. All right, Jeremy, let it out. Let's hear it. So uh, I have like a lot of things about this first scene. Um I feel like the only thing that saves it from being a straight out like fridging moment is that he also dies. Like, uh, <laughs> like he, it is a, his Scorpion story is a revenge story, but it is a revenge story where literally he dies and is so fucking pissed that he, that he conquers hell and comes back to fuck this guy up anyway, <laughs> which is like, my, this face. Which is probably my favorite part of this movie because yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, we'll come to the line later, but like his, his entry line when he comes back into the movie is great. Guys. Um, what if the crow was a ninja? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, two. Uh, has anybody ever successfully gone to get water in an action film? Like <laughs> he goes oh. to get water. 
Like, and mm-hmm. immediately his, his family dies. And it's, uh, of course, the water spills everywhere, too. Uh, I'm talking about the water, though. Water. Like, the water bucket to be, like, in the 95 movie where he, like, spinning it I around. I did appreciate that <laughs> within, like, like oh my God. 30 seconds we're getting an Easter egg to the 95 movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that water yeah. spilled quite beautifully, I might add. I actually really enjoyed that shot. There's a couple of shots in this uh, beginning scene that I really appreciate. But one of the things that I love about this opening is not only does it give you a good taste of just how brutal the movie is going to be, but it's also really beautifully shot. I think I found it interesting that there were so many uh, quick cuts during the action. Cause like you have these martial artists that are just absolutely incredible at what they do. Some of them are the mm-hmm. fastest in the world. And when they were talking about this movie early on. They were saying how one of the benefits to having these types of actors is that you don't need to cut away from the action because they can just keep going and they can go for like 180 beats of uh, choreography and do it. And so I was a little taken aback by some of the camera work in here, but the way that the camera moves around in these scenes, every time that it switches its position, it really like kind of punches in and you get a lot of um, like action shots with the camera movements when like the kunai is going all around and they're trying to stab each other. And you really get a sense for the fact that this movie is going to actually be using practical effects. Yeah. You know, some yeah. of it's going to be digital, but they're going back to the old school. They lost count of how many barrels of blood they used for this thing at one point uh, during the production. And you get slicing, you get dicing, you get people with like necks that bend the wrong way at one point. And there were several moments in this opening, even when the trailer came out, where I was just like, holy shit, like they're actually going for it. I this is really awesome. Appreciate I don't know. Color saturation in that first scene, too. Yeah. It really oh, highlights yeah. the blood and just the, mm-hmm. the greens and the reds really pop. And it's yeah. just, oh, yeah. yeah. When it, the I, I appreciate sword... that that is a different movie that, like, it, yeah. it feels like a period, uh, you know, Japanese piece, mm-hmm. like, when... that they're doing in there. And even though, like, I don't know. I, I don't know where you get a kunai that does that. I know it's originally a gardening tool, but, like, did Hattori Hanzo make kunai that, like, can slice through trees and eight or nine people like this thing really does some fucking damage for something that was supposed to be digging up the the ground the shot when the sword goes through the paper wall it just goes up with the yeah. blood spreading oh, out oh i know great shot but no uh steve what you were saying about the fight choreography with just how it wasn't really that hong kong style long takes meet uh with multiple beats of choreography per take there was so much more editing and quick cuts i don't know if that's I think you're spot on. I don't know if that's the editing. I don't know if that's uh, McCoy's directing. Uh, but it, as much as I love the movie, uh, that's definitely the big, biggest criticism I have of the film is these yeah. are clearly blisteringly, brilliantly talented uh, fighters and performers. Oh, and coming for you. <laughs> that, that, sorry. Oh, you, that. Sorry, I couldn't. Can't do my new audio setup with the two people. So no, no, it's okay. New York background. It's fine. People deal with it. Uh, but yeah, it's that's definitely the biggest criticism is that the movie is that the editing did not do these actors justice. Like they were thrilling. I loved them, but mm-hmm. they definitely were. They definitely it wasn't the in, that, in that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I wasn't expecting that level, but I was expecting something that resembled it more than it did 
Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with B here. It's it's like you know, because uh, at the same time, if you're pitching this as a big budget, you know, action film, and you know, we just had like three John Wicks, you have to bring your A game. And as the fighters definitely did, but I think some of the directing and the editing and in, in the ways they approach it did not benefit them in that sense. You know, um, it's like I think the beginning and the ending are the best parts in terms of the fighting, and it definitely uh, works better there. But everything in the middle is a little too choppy. And like, even when you see like the training montages, you know, it's like clearly these people, these actors can really do the work and they look amazing. So why not just let them do it, linger on them instead of like here, 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 you know, yeah, out. take advantage. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting because I think that that was something that struck me in this first scene. There's a, like a, a really good meta note and a really bad meta note from this first scene, which is like, it's cut like a Western film. It's not cut like a Hong Kong action film. You, if you hire people that know how to do that job, you just let them do their fucking job and like direct around it. You know, use them. You let them use you rather. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. then like the 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 thing that does that I do like about it is that uh, it specifies very specifically uh, that like in that opening scene like. When Sub Zero is is just speaking as himself, uh, he is speaking Chinese. And when yeah. he wants, yeah. when he wants Scorpion to understand him, he speaks in Japanese. Um, and like that, they went through that level of, of even that level of authenticity. When I mean, easily in the first Mortal Kombat movie, that would have been just both of them speaking English. Um, you know, from, I think from, their feels, white, from the good. white actor who played them. Yeah, <laughs> he, he did uh, like the last line. Um, uh, Sub Zero says in there, it is in English for some reason, which confused me. Like, <laughs> I know uh, for the like, for, for the, the Yeah, yeah. So would you to a third language that nobody speaks there? Like, yeah, I know that's me. That's, that's, you know what? He's been alive for hundreds of years. Maybe he picked up a language. Maybe just I, 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 okay. I do <laughs> question Sub Zero's yeah, English. I have no questions about Sub about Scorpion of four hundred years in hell learning English just for his <laughs> that's one phrase. That I have no questions about. That checks out. You know out. there's a lot of English speakers like, in hell. There's lots. There's so many. <laughs> have you met white people? Lots <laughs> of demons. Actually, here's my biggest question of the movie, honestly. Uh, BK, you, you uh, segue perfectly into it. How is Bihan still alive 400 or 500 years later? Like, I mean, I just... assumed if he was working for Shang Tsung, then Shang Tsung was using magic. To He's get probably him. siphoning some of the souls into him. Yeah, you know, like you gotta, you gotta come in yeah. for your monthly appointment. Yeah, like Mortal Kombat is kind of full of characters the back. that are just <laughs> unnaturally awful. That somehow, yeah. I mean, we don't even know if he was working for Shang Tsung in that first scene, or if it was just his own. It seems like it's more of a personal thing between the, the two clans, the Lin Kuei yeah. and the. You know, no point. Yeah. He's like by Shang Tsung's will or something like. Well, yeah, I think yeah. like initially it was just like the the two fa- clans fighting, right? And then that's when they were beat. Yeah, like he he might have joined with Shang Tsung at some point, but it's like I just that, that one just zero. I mean, I don't I don't <laughs> yeah. take the, I don't take it too seriously. I know like it doesn't matter. It's Mortal Kombat, you know. They're magic. Names. I I, but I just figured he was really already cool. immortal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, he I figured he's just crazy freezing himself. Well, that's right? true. Oh, there you go. That was his Arcana, though, right? Like, he could just make ice. Oh, I guess so. So, do we want to just dive into the... Before we get into, I guess, Cole Young and after that and our introduction, do we just want to dive into the Arcanas and everything to do with that? Yeah, let's do it. 
my feelings about the Arcana is I don't like that it's there, but if you're going to do it, I'm really happy with the way they did it. All right. That's kind of my takeaway. Yeah, I uh, I got a question, actually, and this has to do with the uh, the birthmarks that they're, these warriors are given and the way that they kind of transfer from one uh, character to another upon death and stuff like that. In the first movie, in the 95 movie, are Sonya and Kano and Johnny Cage and, and Liu Kang, are they just called to the Mortal Kombat tournament because they're some of the greatest fighters in the world and that's the only criteria? Yeah. As far as well, I can okay. tell. It's pretty much, it's Raiden looked into their souls. Right. And it was like, well, they're talented fighters. So there's no One of you three will determine yeah. Mortal The entire Kombat. concept of, of, this, of Mortal Kombat in this movie gives me a headache because like <laughs> the, the idea that like you get these these symbols because you're destined to be part of mortal Kombat, but they are transferable upon death so it's not like destiny destiny so if you get myrtleated the person who did that to you is now chosen it's all yeah. team destiny earth, chose for team him to earth kill needs you a certain you ever were number of people always so team to be earth needs it. a certain number of murderers yes, yes. <laughs> what happened? It's very convenient because you know that's assuming that the that it's always going to be like a, a better fighter is going to kill the other fighter to take mm-hmm. the mark. What if what if it's just me and they run them over with my car? Like, do I get? That's the what mark? I was going to say. Yes, I'm going to okay. No, 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 no. In that case, I'm going to say your car gets the symbol, <laughs> and then the car has to fight in more. It gets like a sticker and on the back windshield. That is how we get the <laughs> Transformers a... yes. Mortal Kombat crossover. Punching a car. Oh That's God. how we get Street Fighter Two, like punching and beating up the car. Like, <laughs> oh my I mean, God. At that point, it's just like, what's the silliest thing you can come oh. up with? You get, like, if an elevator falls on him, you know, is the elevator? <laughs> <laughs> no, I commit suicide. I mentioned oh, earlier how. Mortal Kombat like feels like Marvel and DC. And I do think the Arcana kind of takes away from that because one of the my favorite parts about Marvel DC is how wildly different the characters' origins are and they just coexist. And Mortal Kombat really is the same way. Like some characters have special their powers because of military technology, some because they're Shaolin monks and can channel their chi. Some is like Outworld, crazy Outworld powers. Yeah. Johnny yeah. Cage is from Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> there, this is like all that, more specifically like like mutants. Like Yeah, like I don't yeah. it's very they, different to go from lots of different origins of powers to one origin. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're all born with I guess the potential for these powers. And then they come out at some point when they get, uh, I don't know, when they have to defend their family or (laughs) they uh, just get really tired of of two non-white guys picking on them. Um, You know, I, I, I was little... I was Kano is is a really interesting part of this movie to me yes. because uh, is Kano's Arcana uh, activated at least mildly by, by racism? Yes. Yeah, I was just was about right. to say that. Yes, As I one, mean, which is a hundred percent again totally in character for Kano. Yes, a he's like these two Asian dandies are picking on me. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So if I can again put on my nerd historian hat, that Kano's. Kano's ethnicity has had a fun little adventure through the franchise. Oh, yes. I heard that. Uh, 
the character started out as supposed to be half American, half Japanese. Uh, but then in for the 95 movie, they cast a British actor who spent his entire career pretending to be Australian. <laughs> and that's true. You can look that up. Uh, and that, again, in terms of all the ways the, mo- you know, the movie influenced the games in like so many different ways. Uh, but one of those changes was the Australian interpretation of Kano was so iconic that the games from then on also portrayed Kano as Australian. Luckily, that didn't stick with Wolverine and Pride of the X-Men. That would have been terrible. <laughs> Wolverine just continued to be weirdly Australian. <laughs> he did cast an Australian, so... Yeah. <laughs> no. And then... <gasps> did cast an Australian. Wow, holy shit. Jared Kiso is right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, he has to be Guardian for Alpha Flight. I'm sorry, he can be both. He is a perfect Wolverine. He's not six feet tall. He's built, he's silent, and he's Canadian. <laughs> I will say the, like the guy from Letter Kenny, right? Yeah. Wayne? Yeah. Yep. Yep. If you're going to do the Arcana, if it's going to be this one source of everyone's like powers, I definitely had a thought like midway through the movie that if you're gonna do something like that, it needs to have the right energy and the right tone for the franchise. Mm-hmm. And I definitely thought if Jax's ancient mystical power is robot arms, this will be the greatest movie of all time. I <laughs> know. And then it was, and I was like, well, I mean, if you can have laser eyes, why can't you have robot arms? I mean, like, right? Powers robot yeah. arms. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Can we talk for a second though about how swole Makad Brooks got for this role? Because so swole. his mustache got for this role. Oh. <laughs> he has honestly one of my favorite lines in the movie. And it's when like Sub Zero is completely kicking his ass, and then he gets like a little jab in, and he so proudly goes, Serve six tours, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> and then probably gets both his arms frozen, ripped off, and then thrown off a little. <laughs> as if as okay. if any of those tours in any way qualified him to fight kung fu ice wizards right <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel he's like trying really whole... hard to be a pwn from aliens as well mm. yeah sarge it up yep hudson get over here <laughs> I love, again i love the scene of him and sonya and he's hitting the punching bag with his little <gasps> monk made robot i'm like what is this going to do yeah, also, yeah. Like, I really just want everybody to give those monks a little less shit. Because, like, this <laughs> is really like, what am I supposed to do with these arms? Like, it's maybe like, live your life. You are monks not- that made you yeah. working robot arms, dude. Like, <laughs> In a totally non-laboratory environment, like, that shit was not aseptic, okay? You're lucky you yeah. were walking around. came up with, like, advanced prosthetics, you know, but I- I'm digging it, yeah. Right? <laughs> it's very impressive for monks in a, like, cave mountain thing to, like, Especially have spare robot arms laying around. Like, I, I don't know about love... you, but the supply chain right now is a disaster, okay? They had to work with what they had. There's a Walmart somewhere there in the temple, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> with the temple, though, they there got it is Amazon. a moment of, like, so you're having, like, this fun little, like, white American privilege and she's like, the Temple of Raiden, nobody knows where it is. And Kano's just like, fucking the people who live there know where it is. <laughs> Don't shut up about it. <laughs> did they ever say where it was? Oh, I mean they just funny. Did, they, they, they did ever not. say like what Somewhere. continent they were on. Just in the yeah. middle of the desert and the only way you can get there is Air Kano. 
Well, this, yeah. this is really, that's really funny to me is that Sonia is the one to be like, nobody knows where it is, considering Sonia has an entire room full of knowledge that God knows how she obtained any of it because right. it's all like, yeah. she has just like pictures of random shit and like, like stories about Mortal Kombat, this ancient yeah. mystical tournament that nobody I love knows about. that she's the conspiracy theorist in the woods or rather the desert in her trailer. And yeah. she's like, Who's the character in Invader Zim who's trying to always track down Invader Dib. Zim? Yes. What, what is it? Dib. He's she's she's like him. She's like honest guys. There's this freaking crazy alien scheme, and everyone's like, "You're crazy." Go okay, away. Who's from singing society. her the Doom song? <laughs> I just hope that she took uh, right. pictures with her phone, you know, because otherwise everything burned down. It's just like shame. <laughs> oh, oh my god, it's true. Well, I think she had found the tournament, so she was. Yeah, yeah. I guess, but it's sort of like, why, why do it in paper? You know, <laughs> normally her and Jax are like leading some sort of task force where they like represent the government. Here, they appear to have gone like on a karate conspiracy a wall. Yeah, because yeah. like she, her explanation is Jax killed this guy with a tattoo, and then he got a tattoo. And so I figured all of this out from nothing. Like, yeah. <laughs> killed the guy that had the tattoo so like her only lead was like hmm he has a tattoo shaped like a dragon let me just reverse google image search that i guess <laughs> I, I love i love Liu kang in this movie oh my god he comes, he comes in like in the desert it's like it's my job to gather the champions it's like Fucking Sonia did all the work. Yeah, he just, just went taking credit for and Sonia stumbled shit. onto them and flounced around I, I, I and love, was like, "Nailed uh, it!" I love, I love <laughs> how wholesome he is. He's just like he's so polite and he's, he's so, so like. You know, I love it at one point yeah, right. with the Cole family. He's like, he's "Come, I warm you," you know, just like, yeah. "Oh, I love the moment." So in love with his boyfriend uh, too. <laughs> when they meet Liu Kang in the desert and he's talking to Kano. And he walks over to him and he places his hand on his shoulder. <laughs> and Kano looks down, just the fuck? <laughs> There's much to learn. Come. Oh, man. I love <laughs> Kano's never I seen love when they... positive physical contact before. Right? <laughs> I love the scene where they meet Raiden for the first time and he's telling them their flaws because it reminded me of one of my favorite scenes in the 95 movie when, you know, and again, like, I love the movie so much. This is a scene where Raiden just goes up to the main characters and verbally tells them their character arcs for the movie. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> the the one thing that I feel like has stayed consistent through every adaptation is Raven continues to have, or Raiden continues to have no personality. <laughs> he continues no, to be like, he has a, he has <laughs> a little cast of personality, you know? It's a little yeah, bit he's just a wall of emotion absorption. He just... Yeah. I like that Raiden's ready for getting ready to hear his character arc. Uh, Kano's getting ready to hear his character arc and said so just gets blasted with lightning across the room. Oh my god, that, and then he just gets up like nothing happened and says what I miss. <laughs> well, that's what I like because I have to imagine if you like, especially if you're not familiar with the franchise, everything about Kano is said to be like, this guy is the jerk with the heart of gold. He's a jerk, but he's ultimately going to come around. And if you're a fan of the franchise, you know, no, he is a jerk with the heart of a bigger jerk. <laughs> there is no face turn coming. But you yeah, know what? I, I, I'm, he's charming. Like, he's funny. Oh, yeah, you the know? Movie really, like, yeah. the movie, like, nine times out of ten, that character absolutely has a face turn. Yeah, yeah. Like that's what I was expecting. 
Yeah. I feel like I the mean, hardest part in the middle of, of this the movie. franchise will see it coming, but uh, anybody else will like, oh, wow. <laughs> there were several yeah. things in this movie that you could tell were kind of designed for people totally new to the franchise. It's like, people won't expect this. The people, yeah. <laughs> there were several, there were some, and that Kano's uh, character, because I was not that familiar with Kano, and I was like, oh, he's just like, yeah, this guy who's going to be the jerk on the team, right? And I so- will say that I love that the reason he turns is just because Cabal shows up. Like, you can have a totally awesome casino here in the middle of nowhere. He's like, damn, that sounds cool. Or, I mean, I mean, like, Cabal <laughs> <laughs> had some great lines. Like, he's a oh he's Cabal's a low life piece of shit. You'll You're love, love him. him. I love Cabal <laughs> so much in this movie. And I love, so cool. I love like. I love again that he knew exactly what to say to get Kano yeah. to turn. It was like, name your price, double it, then double it again. It. Mm-hmm. So for the record, Kano betrayed Earthrealm for twelve million dollars. Ah, <laughs> you actually calculated, yeah. I love you know it. What? I love that. I mean, it was it was times it was three times four. It wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, just most people won't bother to do the. I do love like Cabal as like this New York guy. Like he's about to call somebody a mook or something. (laughs) (laughs) I am so. I am so about. uh, I am so about aggressively New York Cabal. (laughs) Yeah, his name should be Vince, not Cabal. (laughs) Yeah, man. That was yeah, not I, the voice that I expected to come out of that character when he walked on the screen. I want to hang out with my head. Was sort of the middle third of this movie, I think, is that like they introduced Kano, and you can immediately tell that everybody that was making this movie was like, "He's so fucking good. Yeah. We just have to make this movie about Kano now," yeah. <laughs> which kind of like puts Sonya in the position of being the scold for like a good chunk of the movie, and it's like, "Oh, I liked her. You're just gonna make her like." sad and angry all the time now all right i guess that's fine <laughs> and then like finally when kano like goes full bad guy sonya gets to come back into the movie and it's like okay that's that's better because <laughs> in yeah. the middle i was like oh no kano's really good and now the movie wants to be about kano i think we're agreed there's no way this is the last we've seen of Kano in this series. No. I mean, I guess he can come back in certain ways. Death but... has always been a pretty... I mean, Kathleen... Death has always been a matter of opinion <laughs> in this franchise. <laughs> if they I mean, play that, with, like, the, the time things, you know, that Mortal Kombat has done. That, like, they like, have time. so many ways they could bring it back. I mean, Shang Tsung's so last line is pretty much, like, Fuck you! You kill him. I'll, I'll bring him back. You know who cares? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like I mean, well, this I mean, is I feel I mean, like you know, um, you know the, the the movie having if they don't bring him back for the next one, like the movie will definitely live or die on whoever they cast for Johnny Cage because he's gonna be that uh, replacement yeah. of the funny, you know, energy. Yeah. They know that. Yeah. They definitely uh-huh. don't show a face on that Johnny Cage. Nope. <laughs> and that was one of the reasons uh-huh. why he wasn't in the movie is because they didn't want those two personalities to be dueling against one another for the whole thing. They felt it would be too makes distracting. Yeah. Looking yeah. At it it, way, it, it was a great call. Sense. Yeah, it makes all the sense. Well, I think it was a really good decision. Mm-hmm. And honestly, in terms of characters, like, I really think Cole was a good way to kind of bridge like the Scorpion mythology mm-hmm. to the traditional heroes. Because again, to kind of beat up uh, the animated Scorpion's Revenge a little bit, it's they have a scene where it's like, oh, well, here's our Liu Kang, Sonya, and like Johnny Cage, like trio. 
and Scorpion's here, their fourth buddy, Scorpion. (laughs) (laughs) And it doesn't really work. And I like Cole's, and Cole definitely works better as someone who can be connected to that mythology and help like make it more centered in the franchise (laughs) while feeling a little more fitting alongside like Jax and Sonya and like the traditional he's a rough uh, scrappy do you know yeah a little (laughs) bit it's like and Scorpion (laughs) and do you think that uh, Cole Young appears in the video games at some point oh yeah (laughs) I hope so mostly because I mean, they'd have to, A, who the hell knows what the next iteration of the franchise will be in the video games. Like, where it's currently ended, the slate has been wiped. Oh, yeah, with Chronica? Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, but, so I'm not sure how exactly they'd handle it in terms of relation to Scorpion, but I feel like with, you know, if you guys, like, the design, like, there's elements of like you know the basket we've designed the defensive typing i think would be interesting and shirt power. you know if they missed opportunity if they don't go shirt power right <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i i think so, I, I, I would say man. oh this character is weird like i i would like to see this character in the games just to see like i feel like he would be benefited from being a little more integrated into the mythology the way he would just yeah. be if he's, you know, teaming up with Cassie Cage in the next game or something like that. But also, I mean, in terms of them trying to make new protagonists, man, I fucking played Mortal Kombat Deception and dealt with Shujinko. And <laughs> that fucking wet fart nothing of a character, uh, quite frankly, makes Cole look great by comparison. Ah. I I haven't played the most recent Mortal Kombat, but I'm assuming Kronika is a pot-based villain. (laughs) Um, Time-based. Oh oh my god. Like chronology. Sure, sure. so funny. Oh my god. (laughs) She basically, spoilers for for the latest Mortal Kombat game, she essentially uh, restarts time and all all of the Mortal Kombat history is reset. And so come the next oh game, God. they can basically go wherever they want. They just retconned Mortal Kombat entirely? Pretty much. For not the first time. Again, this was this yes, was so Crisis many. on Infinite Realms. Yep. So many ways they can bring back a character. Yeah. They, can, they don't even, you know, it's like, hey, let's invent a way to bring back like, a character. Sure. They, like, a pretty yeah. common tactic they like to do is this character died, but then... The hell wizards took their souls and made them hell rapes, but then we undo the rave magic, so now they're just back to life and normal. Hooray! <laughs> there you go. Come wow, like, Mortal Kombat 2. <laughs> oh man. With his Honestly, magic like, hat. I'm not sure if they can really adapt like Mortal Kombat 2, mostly because they've already done like Outworld and weird stuff like Reptile and Natara. Because mm-hmm. I feel like Mortal Kombat 2's big thing was like okay, everyone there before was human and the weirdest thing was like Sub-Zero and Goro. Now it's Outworld and you got Baraka and Reptile and Metal Arms, man. And like, <laughs> so I feel like, I feel like most adaptations of this, you can just skip right to Mortal Kombat 3 with the invasion. Yeah. 
Yeah. Couldn't there's they make? Still pl- there's still plenty of characters they can bring in, you know, like Deborah. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> again, I would love Deborah. a again one Deborah. of my favorite <laughs> spinoff games. I think would be a great spinoff movie. Uh, would love to see Liu Kang and Kung Lao in a Shaolin Monk spinoff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I really love that game. game and. I loved that game, and that game was mostly a uh, beat, a three D beat 'em up retelling of Mortal Kombat two, and it kicked ass. Nice. I'm just imagining who Deborah is now, and I'm like, is it a disgruntled beekeeper who like <laughs> just goes through like one de- bad day that just you know gets yes. gets stung by the wrong bee, and suddenly what's your I'm a bug person. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, evil origin stories. <laughs> oh my god. Because it's like it's like Harley Quinn thing. It's like, yeah, yeah I was a mild-mannered some such before, but then I, was I found evil was more cool. I was I a mean, mild-mannered bug, mild-mannered please. bug, and then I got bit by a radioactive lady, and now I'm a bug lady. <laughs> so, so which splinter origin do you go with, right? Oh my god, that is it. That is it right there. Yes, yes. Oh my god. <laughs> She's the Mortal Kombat version of Spider-Man. She's a radioactive bug woman and she becomes a radioactive bug. (laughs) I love that there's so many versions. I love that Splinter is either a human turned into a rat or a rat turned into a half human. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm trying to figure out where to go from here. Do we want to pick up on the movie plot or do we want to just jump around? Well, what, what, what should we talk about? Like, we what do are to introduce our favorite Cole Young, like, I think. All right, like we so we get some... to the gym. We get to the gym, and we we meet uh, Cole's rude gym owner who loves to chew his gum and uh, make fun of Cole and, and, you know, basically not believe in him, but he wants to make money off of him. And we find out that Cole is – his daughter is his trainer, and she loves his uppercut. And so he's going to go into that ring. And unless he controls the ring, he's going to get his ass kicked. But we do learn that Cole is a good guy and a family man. And apparently uh, has some good sportsmanship in him. Because after he gets knocked out, or taps out rather, he does go up to the other fighter and they shake hands. And they're, they nod to one another. And uh, Bronwyn actually pointed that out to me when we were doing our rewatch. And uh, I like that. I, that's the friendship. Yeah. <laughs> He's a good dude. It reminded me that um, if, um, if you've seen Letterkenny, that whenever the group gets into a scrap with other people, that usually ends with them picking them up off the ground and offering them a puppers. So I, I do I, like, I do like Cole having a family, being a loving family man. And it does give him a good uh, mirroring with Scorpion at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But to me, what's interesting was because he has that family, Cole isn't a character that like feels disconnected from a community or doesn't know where he comes from and is looking for like his origin. Like he doesn't really care about that. And I know this in its own way would have been a more drastic change than creating the new character of Cole. Mm. But I feel like the character they kind of set up to be someone lost looking for answers about who they are, where they come from. Uh, and like really looking for family is Liu Kang. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like there's an answer right. like Liu Kang is Hanzo's descendant and is still the main character. Yeah. But I feel like in that way, you feel like making Liu Kang Scorpion Jr. Is, would have been just as controversial as 
just introducing Cole. Scorpion Jr. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was talking with a friend earlier today. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be talking about the Mortal Kombat movie. And 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 she was like, so so who does that movie center on? Is it is it Sub-Zero? Because he's my favorite character. I love Sub-Zero. And I'm like, he's totally the bad guy, unequivocally, unequivocally the evil one. She's like, well, then who is the main character? Is it Scorpion? And I'm like, no. It's a different guy, and he kind of sucks for most of the movie. But then he gets like a shirt, and it's a magic shirt. And then, and then he's like a real Mortal Kombat character. He's the main character. They, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I had my issues with them with that. But you know, that's the main character. But Scorpion is in the movie, and he is important in the movie. Just wait until you see Cole on Laundry Day. It's gonna be. <laughs> It is why I'm I'm hoping that if they put him in the game, then it will retroactively make Cole a little better in this movie. Mm. Mm -hmm. What's interesting to me, (laughs) what what I love about Cole is that Mortal Kombat is so part of the 90s in general. um, And that Cole is basically every superhero that was introduced in the 90s. Like, he has... uh, power powers yeah. he has energy powers like he people use energy on him and then he takes it and then he puts it back out he's like, got the black panther suit bishop. Yeah. It's, yeah it's it's, bishop. it's a whole lot of characters in the 90s had like energy powers um <laughs> and and that is exactly what he has well i i, just, I have to ask because i've now seen it twice it doesn't seem like they really remember the whole an impact absorption after the fight with Goro. No, <laughs> no, they certainly it doesn't not. seem like no. it ever glows in the fight against Molina or Sub Zero. After that, we don't I mean, see it a ton does of him a little with bit. I think Sub Zero. I think they they what they're trying to establish with Sub Zero is that if he uses his icy powers while he's punching him, that it counteracts the mm, uh, that's true. The, oh, the okay. fiery well, based powers because they're yeah. kind what? of fiery. I think that makes sense if you take it that I think the director said that Cole's powers is supposed to represent his bloodline and like the road, like protecting him and Sub-Zero being the death of like that bloodline would make sense as the thing that would like counteract that bloodline protection. (laughs) So after we meet Cole and he gets his ass kicked, we travel to Outworld where we meet Shang Tsung and the artist formerly known as Bihan, who is now uh, Sub-Zero and Shang Tsung's basically like, yo, 10th tournament's coming up. I don't really want to deal with it. I just want to amass my armies and do the marching and all the stuff. So let's kill everybody before it even begins. That way we can just go ahead with the big plan and then we can all just chill out. <laughs> Obviously. Imagine if they did the Olympics like that. It's like, you know what? We have the gold. We got no comp. No like other country is competing against us. I like it. You going like to take the gold medal. Shang Tsung saying we can chill out. Like, you think other people make ice puns to Sub Zero, and then he just gives them a look like, really? <laughs> I feel like that's the only look that Sub Zero has. I mean, this is Shang Tsung's conquer and chill moment, though. Like his Saturday this night role, plan. <laughs> Really, everything with Sub-Zero kind of in the real world, quote-unquote, is I really love it. Like, I think this Mm -hmm. is one of the strongest sequences. Like, he comes in like a horror villain with just like, you just see 
snow suddenly started falling and then the frost creeping Mm -hmm. against the window yeah it's giving me like uh dark wing duck feels all he was missing was the speech you know just like in the the smoke of the the blizzard let's get dangerous (laughs) i am the chill that creeps up your spine (laughs) (laughs) i'm the blizzard you don't expect in july I love the that use of ice powers, just like raising and lifting. Oh, yeah. oh I love that scene. Oh, I really, really love that scene. There's one guy that's in the street who gets beamed with one of those <laughs> he real <laughs> He goes down. Mm, that is like that's a brutality. And then we really get after that our big like Jax or Sub Zero confrontation. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Oh. Like Jax tries to save Cole and like drive away, and Sub Zero like cuts them off. And Jax is like, "All right, I guess I'm gonna kill this Ice Man who can disappear with my gun." And it's yeah. like, <laughs> you watch this guy throw ice around and then disappear. What the fuck do you think that gun is gonna do? Like <laughs> those people continue to shoot at things that have clearly like reflected bullets everywhere you know and they're just like you know what i know yeah. what's going to solve this 20 more bullets but has he met these bullets i right? wish the, the next trailer. ones are special <laughs> <laughs> the next ones i'll shoot extra hard yeah <laughs> I, w- I wish the trailer hadn't spoiled that scene of the shotgun pellets getting frozen yeah. in the air because yeah. that's one of the coolest visual in the whole film. I love the like all the pellets kind of going their own separate ways. You get that scatter, that buckshot, and all the little you can see all the little pellets being frozen. And uh, one particular, particularly cool thing is that once they start scrapping and they're fighting and everything, um, right before Sub Zero gets uh, Jax's into that arm hold that he's doing in the background uh, graffitied on the wall, you can actually see uh, arrows and commands for Sub-Zero's first fatality from the first game graffitied on the wall inside the uh, the building, the, the ramshackle building that they're fighting That's inside an of. Awesome That's really fun. And, yeah. uh, and go ahead. No, just the tradition that if Jax is showing up with two arms, two regular human arms, uh, those suckers ain't lasting around. No, not so much. No. I, I really, this, um, oh. this scene really feels need to like really embarrass Jax because not only does he get fucked up, not only does he get his arms frozen and destroyed, but then he gets like kicked into the <laughs> hole and like smashes again, like bangs his head against the other yeah. floor as he's going. Insult yeah. to injury. Like, oh my it god, it is insult. To that injury. was it. But the <laughs> animation though. <laughs> that's what i love is that now in video games and animation and live action like every time they show jacks losing his arms it's a different character ripping it off and i hope <laughs> they keep that as a running gag where it's a never the same character twice in any version that rips off jacks arms the speed at which he gets the new arms and the way at which he gets his new arms though that's uh yeah. At least in this movie, we get to see him get so, his awesome arm. Again, yeah. to kind of keep picking on Scorpion's revenge, in that movie, he loses his arms, but does not get robot arms. He just leaves with. So, yeah, no arms. I know. I'm like, what? Really? Give him, give him his robot it, arms. He's standing there with no arms. Just give him the arms. It kind of just feels like awful and torture yeah, if it's not a prelude to him having robot He's like arms. He's biting people. Oh my God. <laughs> He's like. <laughs> 
It's like, just, just let him have his arms. It's not that hard. You could get magical monks to give him arms. Come the on. The trauma this dude has to process and you're going to I know. So arms. I'm like, okay, he it's was, worse. It's more agonizing in the anime. I do like this movie where once he gets his arms, though, Jackson looks just so proud of them like he's just so happy <laughs> these were better than my old arms like, ever well, it just looks like oh these motherfuckers work like he's he's just so like there's just something so heartwarming when he smashes a man's skull between his <laughs> ah general reiko nobody's nice. gonna tell him like you don't need those jack your true power is inside you're some bullshit like that <laughs> no. well, no, those arms are good you should keep those <laughs> You know what? That does kind of throw an interesting wrench into this arcana question of like, were you always going to lose your arms because your, your secret power was going to be robot arms? Was like your destiny to Don't get think those robots? <laughs> oh, I don't actually think about had, it that much. I know, right? I what had is, that same thought earlier. But what if he oh, God. never lost his arms and then he still had to go through the process of finding his arcana and then finding his arcana, like bust his actual arms off. Moving on from Jax's arms. <laughs> Cole, it really is when he hits that floor on the way down. Oh, <laughs> that no. was bar. Oh. And like they're already partially off, but then they act they really shatter off the rest oh, of the way when yeah. he goes down. Yeah. It's yeah, my, mean. my wife doesn't know Mortal Kombat and like was watching this part of the movie with me and she's like did they just did they just kill Jimmy Olsen like five minutes into this movie? Like <laughs> this, this guy's dead? I was like, I mean, no, but no. It, that smack against the floor was really rough. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> like All that's right. some magical monk power bringing him back. <laughs> there you go. You know, so, kudos to those monks. They are working with some very basic equipment and they that they recovered him from all that mad skills that man. mad skills. someone summon the watchmaker <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs> all right so cole is back home with his family he's basically trying to make sense of what happened he says that he needs to leave before more people get hurt and he buys into this prophecy 110 percent I have a question. Yes. Where he leaves his family. Is that their home? Is that already their house? Is that, that just a farm? Is that Jax's farm? Did he just find a farm and leave his family there? <laughs> I mean, right? I like, think I... it's their home. He just, Jax is like, get out of here. And he's like, well, let me make sure to lead them back to my house. Um, <laughs> I thought it was like cabin in the woodsy. Like they had like a cottage or something. Like that, I mean, know? they're packing bags later in the movie. So it's it's got to be their place, right? Mm-hmm. Also, Jax tells him uh, a address, including numbers, like as he's grabbing his gun to go fight Sub-Zero. And I was like, I'm going to need to write that down, put text it to me, something like I'm not going to remember what's what number on the street in Gary, Indiana I'm supposed to be going to. Like, this is <laughs> it's bad policy. Oh, one more uh, Easter egg from earlier in the movie I like. Yeah. Uh, when Jax meets Cole and is recapping when he used to be good at MMA. He says that Cole took the title from Eddie Tobias. This is a reference to Ed Boone and John Tobias, the creators of Mortal Kombat. Nice. 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 So, like all right. So he, <laughs> so Cole is, he's all in. He wants to, he wants to do something about this stuff. We uh, enter Molina going into Outworld and we great, we get what I, my thing is a great depiction 
of Outworld and kind of the dire circumstances that they're in the wastelands of it all. And Melina talks to Shang Tsung about Jax being killed, quote unquote. And Shang Tsung's like, all right, let's finish this. Send in Reptile. Cole goes to the junkyard and meets up with Sonya. And then there's Kano, who's being held captive. And uh, then we get Sonya Exposition Blade launching into <laughs> some exposition her, about her how she learns of bullshit evidence that right? we have no idea how she got. She's got the, like, uh, I, go ahead. I, I Google image search Jax's tattoo and then spent <laughs> the next 10 years gathering newspaper clippings about a Kung Fu tournament that's held in like a legendary mythical something. Like I was like, where, where, what library did you go to? <laughs> did Sonia just Google dragon tattoo? to the tattoo? library at Sunnydale High School. I, I have to imagine that Sonia <laughs> just Googled dragon tattoo and got to page 27 and was like, <laughs> multiple realms karate tournament. And... I love her in this scene. She has three opportunities to explain away. Even when Kano gets a chance to tell his own story, he's like, nah, you do it. <laughs> so she tells Cole all about Kano and we meet Kano who this movie obviously loves and uh, after we see the sunny and Phil uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia wall that Sonia has and we get a little uh, Nightwolf Easter egg in there as well we also got a Kodalkan Easter egg yeah a character introduced in Mortal Kombat also, hey. also she has a picture on the wall of somebody who's written the words Mortal Kombat with the K backwards. <laughs> and Cole says, why is that? It's spelled incorrectly. And she goes, I don't know. <laughs> like, what the fuck, guys? Why did you even point that out if you're not going to do anything with it? That's I, hilarious. I love like, that. Oh, go ahead, Kathleen. Oh, either either that's like part of the ancient mythic. You know, she read that on a on a monolith or like a Rosetta Stone from yeah. another dimension, and it, just the K is there with it. Yeah, or or she was just like so drunk that night, and she just like slewed <laughs> that name up there on the wall. And there she it is, and injury, that's why the franchise. Research here, you don't question me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know why, how she has a picture of somebody from 16th century Japan. <laughs> yeah. Like a somebody else was making a graphic novel at some point as well. Yeah, I was gonna say, if, we're if we're talking about spinoffs for this franchise, I would really like them to actually put out the Kano graphic novel. <laughs> that would be cool. I it think there's cool got to be time travel involved here, though. Like, she's got a TARDIS, and she has been doing research that way. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do have to say, going back briefly, uh, to to the other outworld scene, uh, my wife told me I had to write this down when she said it, which is I'm no longer Bai Han and now I'm Pan Han. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Think about Jeremy. It's good, good that's joke. Great. That's great. That's all Alicia right there. You tell so. Alicia that's a good ass joke. <laughs> so we start getting some information about the dragon marks. I love the moment when Sonia talks about not having one and Kano just goes womp womp from off camera. He said trombones off camera. Yeah. 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 The subtitle says Kano makes that trombone noise. It's amazing. <laughs> Awesome. So uh, shortly thereafter, the Deadly Alliance version of Reptile shows up. I gotta say, I've seen some shit online, people that did not appreciate the character design for this character. 
I think this character looks great. Oh, I I, dug it. I love the incorporation of the poison and how he's got like the acid spit going on. Uh, the way it's crawling all over the rafters and everything. It practically it eats one of the, the Bowie blades that gets stuck in it at one point. I love that with the acid. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big fan of Deadly Alliance in general among like the Mortal Kombat games. So maybe I was a little more accepting of the more of the deadly alliance inspired reptilian design yeah but uh, in my head i also like send the reptilian size off like after them, i'm like is this your way of having a reptile without necessarily having the reptile who will be a green dude like green ninja man mm-hmm. like I, so i was into it but again this might just be reptile this might just be a disfranchised version of reptile he's not a particularly important character in the franchise he's usually the franchise's waspinator (laughs) he's third ninja he's like we had two ninjas people really liked them why don't we make a third one and then there's the fourth one Um, and the fifth but no i really like kano like pinning this fucking flare to the thing he's like i can't see him so i'm gonna take the Flare and pin it to him, and that's great. Oh, uh, be able to see him dabbing the flare into him, and then reptiles running across the wall, setting it all on fire. I just love that whole sequence. Like, uh, great visual. I love the uh, you know, when the reptile's screeching in his face, he just screeches, oh. back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It reminded so me of that amazing. moment in Captain Marvel where she screams into the um, yes. what was it the, like the, the Kree's face? Yes, yeah. uh, but no, Wait, like, queer scroll. Scroll. I always get those confused. Scrolling. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Scroll. Um, but no, when he when reptiles dripping his like acid spit and drool all over the rebar that he's walking along, like this is like a poor life choice. You know, you got if you have acid spit like that, you've got to be more careful where you drop that because like that's going to cause structural integrity issues if you're trying to hide in the rafters. So <laughs> <laughs> like, I like that they at least address that so you could see some of the damage, but like. You, 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 he has to have some higher functioning here. <laughs> so, I mean, also, we if you're just... a killer reptile with acid breath, why don't you just fucking spit on somebody before you know, try to right? attack him? You're invisible and have acid <laughs> spit. You fucking you should you should need need karate well, at that point. He has <laughs> an Montoya. Right. He wants to use his left hand. Okay. <laughs> I do appreciate being like I know I'm an alligator monster, but let's focus on the martial arts. <laughs> it just gets too easy if he just spits. I think my favorite part of that fight is Cole throwing a knife to Sonya and Sonya doing a completely unnecessary flippy. That's what I have in my notes. Sonya does an unnecessary spin flip before plunging the knife into Reptile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Like, I just cannot land this knife unless I'm They fucking alley-oop the knife. It's it's completely unnecessary. I was going to say, I will never criticize, like, flippies, but then I remembered Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which is mostly just extras and stuntmen doing random flippies for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely amazing. God God bless the Raiden versus Noob Cybot fight that's just everyone doing spinny kicks while, like, eight feet away from each other. So Reptile goes down with, I guess, our second fatality in the movie when Kano Uh, just plunges his fist through Reptile's chest, rips out its heart, and does the Kano wins. Kano wins. You fucking beauty. (laughs) I love this moment so much. It's so good. I mean, it had to happen eventually. Like, Like he, he, that, I'm telling you, with that level of acid spit, 
he's going to have esophageal weakness. Like his chest wall is going to be compromised already. Like this was just a matter of time. Somebody was going to punch a hole through his chest at some point. Yeah. I, if I start questioning the distribution of poison inside a reptile, I, that's a wormhole. I don't know. I'll be able to ever get out of (laughs) because they were telling me, oh, it comes out of the barbs. And I'm like, so then if it uses its tongue to wrap around Kano's neck and pull it towards it, like, wouldn't that then be the time that you unleash your poison and just lop the head off right there? Mm-hmm. So I, this I, one's on you, Reptile. Say, this is why I respect <laughs> Michael Bay, because some filmmakers go so out of their way to try to have all these explanations for everything. And then you got directors like Michael Bay where it's like, wait, how is it easier to teach drillers how to be astronauts instead of astronauts how to drill? And he'll just be, how about you shut the fuck up and watch the goddamn movie? <laughs> yeah, once I start yeah, thinking what do you about know, this acid like- spit. Yeah. <laughs> What was that in LA? Yeah. No, I was just like, yeah, shut up, Ben Affleck. You don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So reptiles down. Sonia strikes a deal with Kano uh, that gets us to Raiden Temple for $3 million. I need a spinoff of Kano and what I can only assume was Kano's mother's lesbian leather. Like, yeah, Violet. <laughs> <laughs> They seem to share a lot of history with one another for sure. And That's the I impression need to I got. Know all of it. Yeah, <laughs> that was amazing. Your mother's been dead for 25 years. A guy can dream. <laughs> like, I need them just doing heist, like messing around in the outback. Like, I need that Kano spinoff. Absolutely. I agree. I so they fly, they fly Air Kano, they end up in the desert. And then uh, shortly thereafter, Kano and Sonia get into a scuffle. And we get a moment where Kano begs her to kill him and take the mark for herself. And I was thinking to myself, like, is he is he baiting her or does is he so what's that? Yeah, he's taunting her. He's just he he knows she won't do it. You know, so he's just get, getting off on the like, yeah, yeah, no, you don't have it in you. <laughs> or is there yeah, some depth to Kato and he it, wants yeah. to die for all of the bad shit he's done? Ooh. No, uh, Kano, Kano loves doing bad shit. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no depth to Kano. Yeah. Yeah. He's, the, right. he's the fucking black dragon. <laughs> Maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I, the final scene with Sonya, he's like, oh, but you got to kill me, baby. I feel so bad about betraying you. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I love a good three-dimensional character, and I love seeing the characters in this franchise get more humanized, get more nuanced. Uh, Kano isn't one of them. Kano <laughs> should only have ever have one dimension, and that dimension is piece of shit. <laughs> Although I wasn't sure either, because I'm not as familiar with Kano, so I was like, well, he seems like the comic relief of this thing, but is he just so tortured that he wants to die? But Thank no. you. If- but i for a second wondered if kano got a spinoff it would be to mortal Kombat what like brother lona was to 100 bullets (laughs) (laughs) oh boy all right where do we go from here oh my favorite my favorite enter Liu kang Liu kang immediately establishes dominance over kano and he doesn't (laughs) even have to t-pose nope He finds them in the desert headed the wrong direction, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I've been looking for you. Really? Have you? I've been going on foot. the desert looking for you. Where are you been? <laughs> I guess presumably he's the one who brought Jax to the temple. 
I would guess so. We they don't really clarify that. He's just there. I'm we get gonna there. guess it was Kung Lao who shoved him through his teleportation hat. <laughs> just where he respawned. I'm about to question a lot about this movie very quickly <laughs> because we're getting to the point where on my first watch of this the movie kind of fell apart for me in, in a, in a little bit in a certain way. So we get to the group makes it to Raiden's temple and we find out that they only have, they have a very finite amount of time between. Okay. Ben, Ben, we get the absolutely insane Easter egg of Shinnok's amulet. Yes. Yes. You mean the eye of Agamotto? (laughs) Pretty much just Kano casually stealing the thing that unlocks the de- the kung fu devil. Oh God! <laughs> There's your sequel. Yeah, right there. And uh, we also get Katana's fan uh, yeah. in the background as well, and you can't really see it that well. But um, I got to look at the concept art for that, and uh, her entire family lineage is actually designed, like inlaid into those blades. That's um, so cool. Like in the fan cool. itself and everything. Yeah, I, I really hope that they show that off in the sequel because that thing looked absolutely gorgeous uh, when I was there. But here's my thing, okay? So we find out that there's a very finite amount of time between when they arrive at Raiden's Temple and when the Mortal Kombat tournament is supposed to go down. And it's something like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like five days, Right. Like it's it's real soon. I mean, they, I don't think uh, I specify the number of days, but they do say they won't see another full moon. Yeah, so I interpret yeah, it as like twenty eight days. They have all right with the facts of <laughs> Earthrealm hanging in the balance. After ten years, this thing it was all decided in in this ten years, the the tenth tournament. Wouldn't you put a little bit more effort into getting everybody together <laughs> earlier than they did? <laughs> I'm just saying. Both sides are being super last minute. I mean, the the villains with killing everybody. Yeah. Like, Raiden is... Go ahead. This is the kind of godhood that's led to Earth losing nine times in a row. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That is a good point. This is why we're in there. Somebody should have pointed it out. Raiden, you're not really good at this. No. (laughs) (laughs) Too busy playing with his Instagram filter eyes. We're a team Earth. (laughs) <laughs> yes, we definitely. We all oh, we need. We need a different god of thunder here. We're Emily. sore. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> we need Emily coaching everybody with the uppercut. <laughs> oh, Although man. I feel like Emily, the god, they of go thunder. into just enough. They go into just enough detail with Raiden to make him confusing without filling it out. They're like, he's like, I'm not from here. But you know, I look out for it sometimes. Like Ish. this is like this Earth is my brother's place. He just asked me to look out for it when he's not home. You know, when he, <laughs> when he goes on vacation. And yeah, I, I, I don't know if there is, but I feel like there has to be a like a Raiden Instagram filter for those eyes somewhere, right? Like, <laughs> oh yeah. It just it just feels like it feels like an Instagram filter. Even a Snapchat, Snapchat option. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably around the time of the the movie coming out, I wouldn't be surprised if there was like a limited time where you could have Raiden's eyes. All right, let's see here. So, uh, where are we? Oh, so Sonia finds Jax. He's in really, really rough shape, and uh, the monks are going to be giving him some new arms with the the tech they have available to them. And Liu Kang very politely 
asks Sonia to get the fuck out of their way so they, that they can do their work. She doesn't really pick up on it the first time. He asks her a second time, and then she gets it. And uh, Jax will soon have his his little robot arms that he'll do his um, <laughs> his moves on a punching bag at one point. It's, uh, it's pretty entertaining, but we'll get there. Sub-Zero shows up in Raiden's temple. Uh, Liu Kang gets into a scuffle with him and then enter Kung Lao. Kung Lao actually does the hat teleport into the movie for his introduction. And I didn't catch it the first two times. I caught it the third time when we watched it tonight. And I internally lost my shit for that moment. It's great. And it's why I'm ultimately okay with the Arcana. Because if the Arcana is what this movie needs to do to get general audiences on board with a character debuting by appearing through a magical teleporting hat, then fine, fuck it. Arcana is what we're doing. <laughs> like if I have to pick between like no Arcana, it's like there's someone's like, we can lose the Arcana, but I guess we're just gonna have to lose Kung Lao's magic pad. I'm like, fucking fine, Arcana it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that uh, when Max Wang learned that he got the role, he made himself a hat out of cardboard and started practicing with it in his yard. And then when they gave him the, <laughs> the real hat that he'd be using for the movie, there was such a, a weight difference that he had to relearn how to throw it and how to move with it and everything like that. And I think a lot of what he does with that hat and some of the moves, it is right out of the video game. That's awesome. I mean, and not just like, not just the fatality, but even the way that he flips it around and fights with it and kind of like lunges with it and slashes with it. And can we talk for a second about that fatality? Cause. Oh yeah. (laughs) Victory. Oh yeah. That's one of the coolest moments. That's it. That was insane. I like that. The complete, like the huge buildup and then complete waste of Natara. Yeah. Oh my uh, god! Really true. irritated me though. They're <laughs> like, she's the most dangerous hunter in the world. Check it out. She's got demon wings. She's such a badass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I love the, the the expression he's making when he's chopping her. They're just like ah, just like. like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I've been like, wanting uh, to do that forever. <laughs> Again, all the I was blood that would work. <laughs> all the blood splashing into his face. Yep. All practical effects. Yeah. yeah. So was the so was the body. So was the split. When I when I was uh, on set, we were down there, mm-hmm. and we didn't know who it was at the time. <laughs> but they had the body on a gurney, uh, <laughs> laying down on the ground, split into two pieces. So we knew that Kung Lao eventually got somebody, but they didn't tell us at that point until later that Natara was in the movie. And, um, but yeah, yeah that whole There's a good thing, reason for that. Yeah. That whole <laughs> thing of him bringing her through, that's all, that's all practical with all kinds of like uh, tubes and levers and gushing and all of that stuff. It. it looked like a practical effect. Yeah. It looked way too like squishy. Yeah. See, they left like, the camera you know? on for that. Yeah, they do all these yeah. quick cuts for the for the hand to hand combat stuff, but for that they left that camera on and they oh, go man. from the top to the bottom, from Trump to skunk. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! So in general, like definitely a different version of Kung Lao that I think works. Like the big change is that normally, pretty much since Shaolin monks on, he's had this kind of 
Raphael to Leonardo relationship with Liu Kang, where he's got where he's got like a little insecurity and chip on his shoulder about not being the chosen one champion. So it's a different here that like the twist is he is the champion. He is yeah. the one that's supposed to be like the best fighter, the one leading Earth. Uh, and again, it's a twist I think works really well given what happens to him, uh, and then that his death then serves as Liu Kang's motivation, mm-hmm. like to improve and get better. So it's a twist, but with where the movie wants to take these characters, I think it's a change that, like most of the changes to the mythos, I think works to this movie's favor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Shang Tsung is basically shut out. Raiden comes in, he's like, ah, not in my house. And he throws his staff down and he puts up what has got to be the most effective and ineffective uh, security system for his temple in that it takes all, it takes a very little amount of effort to shut this thing down, but whatever. He (laughs) He throws it up and he says, look, these are my fighters. They've got a train. And Shang Tsung takes one look at them and is like, we got this, everybody. Let's just go home. KD, I'm out. Have a, right? Let's go have a beer. And they could do their little training and whatnot. And then one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yes. Ludi Lin takes his shirt off. Yes. <laughs> it's stunning. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Like, there's definition, and then there's Ludi Lin. Oh, what is that? Like, is him doing Robin Shell proud. Right? I the flex on that scene and the like the Bruce Lee contouring that we got going on there. Mm-hmm. I have to fan myself during ah. that scene. Ooh. We all do. Mm. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> he I can I I, I got a Ludi Lynn story for you that I'll tell I'll tell you guys off air. Uh Bronwyn Bronwyn knows what it is. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> We, we might have met each other in another life. I'll just I'll say that. Uh, let's see here. So uh, Cole and Kano and Luke Kang and Kung Lao, they enter the grounds. Sonya's not allowed in the ring because she doesn't have a marking. So she goes to see how Jax is feeling instead. And he's got his new puny arms. We get the test your might scene from Kung Lao. <laughs> And uh, we got Kung Lao versus Cole and Kano versus Liu Kang. And we get one of the funniest nods to the video game franchise and countless, countless players of Mortal Kombat who very early on learned that you can just sweep people to do damage and do it again and again and again. And they do it in the movie. And it was per. <laughs> I love that. Like he gets him the first two times, and then Kano's like, "I got this figured out." And he goes for the sweep, and Kano jumps, and then like he doesn't actually do the sweep. And he's like, "Damn!" <laughs> he just sweeps him again. I was like, <laughs> oh, "Yeah, I've been there, man." Yeah, yeah. Ah, Everybody so mistimed that jump. Everyone oh has. My God, I remember so just nice. thinking when that happened. I'm like, "Ha! Rule of threes. Yeah, <laughs> you nailed it." <laughs> oh, uh, Ben, you might be able to answer this question for me. In this next scene. We get Liu Kang and Cole. Uh, Liu Kang is working on his arm after Kung Lao had sliced it with the hat. And we learn that Liu Kang's backstory has something to do with him basically getting the marking from a child thief. Is that what I... So, 
Yeah, that seemed to be what it is. That is definitely a backstory uh, that's original to the movie. Um, in the video games, they really don't haven't gone much into his backstory. He's just, you know, kind of born into the monk order, trains like kind of the same alongside Kung Lao. Like they kind of knew each other as kids, just, you know, not from one, not like descended from the great Kung Lao, but still just a regular monk, not necessarily someone adopted into the order. Okay. Uh, the 95 movie kind of invented the uh, little brother figure and introduced all that, which kind of implied that there was deceased parents, but again, and like, again, raised by their grandfather. Um, but so, yeah, this kind of orphan uh backstory for him is really original to this movie um and again i think it works with the well i feel like the relationship between him and kung lao feels like sailor uranus and neptune in the dub where they keep <laughs> using different words it's like he's my brother he's my cousin he is my non-blood related fight figure who i expected to grow old and die beside yes <laughs> yeah they got real boyfriend vibes going on in this movie oh yeah <laughs> yeah there and, was definitely i lo- i just lost my life partner <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I will tell you i i mean i'm not that close with my cousins you know i'm just <laughs> and i'm pretty close with my cousins but not like that close with my cousins <laughs> I yeah, think it's. I, mean, I think it's a deep respect I, and yeah. love. Yeah. Yes. I think, but yeah, it's a new thing, and again, it's why I kind of think like, oh, I again, part of me wonders like, if you're going with this new orphan backstory, maybe that could have been a way to connect it back to Scorpion without needing Cole Young. But I think I mean, he's again, already a got lot the firepowers. That makes sense. Like, right? It's kind of there. Uh I, not to do, uh, I don't like to play like the armchair quarterback on the rewrites, but I do think it's just a direction it could have gone. But again, I feel like a lot of the changes they make to Liu Kang and to Kung Lao are all in service to kind of Kung Lao dying and that being, and avenging him being Liu Kang's motivation yeah. for, for the rest of the movie. When uh, when I was visiting the set, um we could hear Ludi Lin screaming from somewhere else in the building while we were interviewing Simon McQuaid. And uh, so they were, they had those scenes up on the monitors and every, you know, every couple of minutes you just hear him. Ah! And so all the people that I'm with in the group were like, so Liu Kang, uh, no, uh, so Kung Lao dies in this thing, huh? And I'm like, why do you say that? Like, because that's a that's a my cousin lover just died scream, <laughs> and we keep hearing it. So when I was transcribing the, when I was transcribing that's a the, development relationship there. Yeah, um, I used a program called Otter to trans uh, to listen to my recordings and transcribe all the interviews, and it has different uh, files or different different texts for each person in the file and so uh ludy lynn had his own file in the background and it just said it screams in pain like <laughs> several times in the transcription it was so great you know i, think, I, I just like the idea that ludy lynn was running around screaming in the building somewhere just, yeah. somewhere in the distance ludy lynn screams 
this movie definitely makes God, that's amazing. Just I just how many takes they needed of him screaming for Kung Lao. But it yeah, went no, on for like a half hour. Oh my god. Oh my his god. His voice must have been shredded. Like, oh he, god. That was his opening when he came into the room to do his interview with us. He was like, he, he was doing one of these where he was grabbing his neck. Oh, and, like, mm. and uh, he had like a little thing of uh, lozenges uh, okay. in it from his pocket. It was, it was <laughs> like, so uh, like he, he came in with Max, the, the two of them. And uh, one of the first questions were like, so uh, you're making it to the sequel. <laughs> they just, <laughs> of course they can't tell us, but um, you know, we could, we could figure it out. <laughs> So, yeah, all right, this, let's see. Oh, go ahead, Ben. This movie, like, for the most part, it makes plenty of changes to the mythos, but none of it feels like changes for changes' sake. They feel like things like the Arcana, where it's either like, we want to have all the special powers and also have it be under two hours. So, Arcana, like, yeah. or like easy origin for everything, or it's all changes that really are in service to the specific character arcs or themes they're going for. Right. Like making Sub-Zero villainous, changing up the Liu Kang Kung Lao dynamic, adding Kano as an initial good guy and that have not being the reason there's no Johnny Cage. Like all the changes make total sense why they made them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that that portion of the film was actually very well plotted and, and well thought out. Uh, so in the movie, we get uh, a scene of Jack's training with his new arms and he's basically doubting himself and doesn't know where his place is and all of this now. And Sonia basically tells him a combat story and peps him up a bit. And he starts believing in himself again, decides that, you know what, we're going to take a break and we're going to go and get a meal. And so the group is sitting down and you've got Kang and Kung Lao and they are coaxing Kano's arcana out of him by basically pissing him off and making him enraged and trying to get an emotional response to him, kind of like mutant powers and that how a lot of those are uh, triggered. And we get this, we get this scene of Kano just flipping out and then making this noise at the end of being angry, just looks like he's about to shit himself and a laser <laughs> comes out of his eye instead and he finds my, out that's <laughs> funny oh my, my mortal combat was improvised by him <laughs> just my, my mortal combat <laughs> math is that Jax is amazing. double bucky and kano is half a cyclops <laughs> <laughs> i love it he, he double bucky <laughs> what was that la I love that he keeps riffing on the hat, you know, like he's just like, you just have a hat. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I mean, no, never thought no, about it, but it's like <laughs> hat powers. Right? Hat powers. Their shirt power. Hat powers. I, yes. I also, I also love that he like makes fun of the hat and he's way into the throwing fire until he gets his laser. And he's like, I got a fucking laser. That's way cooler than throwing fire. Like, <laughs> my God. is it though? <laughs> It's cool, but I don't know. I, know right? <laughs> I like the firepowers a little bit more. Yeah, it's a very ricochet laser. Yes, that's true. He he seems to know how to use it pretty quickly, though. He takes out that security system a little later with a pretty concentrated blast. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, man. You know what? 
Good for you. You're really into this. <laughs> Again, it's, I just love the idea that one time out of five, he just straight up hoops himself. <laughs> His arcana comes with a like monthly diapers. Academia style. You get a superpower, but there's still a drawback if you overuse it. Oh, oh, oh. Excuse me. I'm going to go clean myself up. I'll be right back. I really want, wish we had gotten a flashback and learned how Kung Lao had discovered his powers of super hat. Right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I can only imagine. Did he have a different hat, hat like, and it just became this hat? Or did like this hat spontaneously hat appear when he did it? Same way the shirt appeared, right? right? In I'm the sorry. middle of battle when it was most needed. I it's like only... suddenly, what? Yeah, right? Only assumed that what he cared about the most was his fly outfits. So he needed super. So he got superpowered drift. <laughs> yes. All right. He so just came- had a baseball cap before. <laughs> I will say this: as far as I can tell, in none of in none of the games has Kung Lao's magic hat powers ever had any kind of explanation whatsoever. <laughs> Like, Luke Cage's fire stuff Old is choice. usually, like, he's a monk. Chi. Like, he can channel chi. Fucking magic razor hat. I don't know. He's just really good at the hats. I mean, it's kind of like a Captain America shield you wear on your head. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like yeah. kind of the same. If Captain America could turn it into a psychic buzzsaw. <laughs> what did you think about, so he, uh, at one America. point in the movie, Kung Lao <laughs> throws the hat and it actually becomes embedded in the wall. And then he's able to conjure it back to him just by like willing it over to him like I mean, you he really it into a buzzsaw right like he really <laughs> does have hat powers it should have worked like the game where eventually the hat just falls off frame and then in a spontaneous flash of light he just like has a sparkly a new, new hat on his head oh magically. My God. did you guys ever see <laughs> no, the japanese children's show impama man like oh <laughs> Because he has, like, it's all bread-powered superheroes. And they they all have, yeah, yeah, yeah. They all have different breads for heads. And, like, the American one has a slice of white bread, and there's, like, different hats. Yeah, there's like a melon fill, like melon panachan. And then like the, the red bean bun is the main guy in Palma. <laughs> and he, he like, his superpower is he feeds the forest animals pieces of his head to make them feel better. And That's so he, an adorable yeah. superpower. That's yeah. not superpower. I could do that. <laughs> and then he has chunks of his head missing. And so he's like, well. I could have chunks of my head missing. <laughs> That's not okay. So he just sort of says, huh? And they throw him a new head off scene and it knocks okay. the other one off. <laughs> So, so the real power is head regrowth, yes. right? Yes. But it's very sweet the way he makes himself need to use that um, thing. That's adorable. What are the other people's super... Do they all have head regrow or like... <laughs> I they mean, don't have to. What does the rye one yeah. do? Yeah, what they does all have rye? superpowers that what rely is... on them being devoured alive, <laughs> right? No, they can like fly and stuff like that. Okay, that's way like better bread. than yeah. being devoured over yeah. and over again. Yeah, the American superhero even has a little red cape. <laughs> oh, that's I, I do have to oh say, uh, going back to Kung Lao, uh, I assume <laughs> he got his powers the same way that. Uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe Hela got her sword generating powers. Just I just throw swords up here from nowhere. 
<laughs> one day he was just like, "No, I just have a hat. <laughs> I just have a hat." No. You like it. All right, so Kano uh, and Cole are continuing their training. Cole can't get it up and decides that he <laughs> yeah. is he's missing his family. And Raiden's like, I'm going to drop some knowledge bombs on you and tell you that you're a descendant of Hanzo Hasashi. Oh, and I thought the knowledge bomb was just Raiden going, you suck, go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Raiden says, get the fuck out if you can't handle the pressure and makes a portal for him. And Cole goes back home to see his family. Even though we have not solved the core issue of Shang Tsung's men are hunting down and tracking anyone with the dragon tattoo and going back to his family still immediately puts them in danger. Yeah. Right? The whole reason you separate from your family, none of that has been resolved. Yeah, I do like how Raiden takes credit for Cole getting his powers. Like, this was my plan all along, yes. Right? <laughs> it was He's always my dick. plan. Like, to he put really your is. Wife. Raiden's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Putting your wife and daughter in mortal danger was always part of my wise master plan. <laughs> I like to assume that Raiden just called Shang Tsung up and was like, hey, this guy sucks. I'm going to send him home. If you could just like, he's not going to be in the tournament. So just, just it don't. It would have a pattern because, you know, yeah, he shows up in the beginning of the movie to save uh, Scorpion's daughter. But you could have shown before that and you know, save the, uh, you know, the entire family. Right. Raiden's like the Flash where he has teleportation, but yet he's always like... Yeah. <laughs> I love how in this franchise it is no issue if any of our heroes does something completely fucked up. Like yeah. we are not expecting any of these characters to be squeaky clean or always ethical. We do not need our main like wise guru man to always do like what's nice and best now. Like we'd no. totally be like, oh, no, you put him in mortal ass. Yeah, not even like, like, fine. Yeah. <laughs> like this is a franchise where someone goes like I am a peaceful monk and then just punches someone's heart out and then we don't even blink twice. No, like, yeah, like, no, that of course he did that. Yeah. Why would you not? It's like, well, no, he punched out the heart, so he died fast. It's still peaceful. It so peaceful. I mean, the guy looked now. at him wrong. Of course he punched <laughs> his heart out. Yeah, written as a Who god protecting Earth, Earth has Dante from Clerks energy, like. I'm not even supposed to be here. <laughs> this is my realm. <laughs> I love it. All right. So we're traveling back to Outworld now, where we meet Natara, Cabal, General Reiko, and Prince. Wow, I have Prince Goto in my uh in my notes here. I love uh autocorrect. Prince Goro, but all we see is the silhouette. And uh let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think that Shang Tsung and Natara are uh, oh, totally yes. banging, getting yes. it on? Hundred percent. There's some. Definitely. The only explanation for why Definitely. he thinks she's the best because it's not fighting. <laughs> Good point. I have. Holy God. Now, in terms, most of the changes this movie makes to the formula, I agree with. The one I do raise my eyebrow a little bit at is using Goro so early. Because I look at the other villains and I'm like, okay, Reptile, like Natara, Raiko, those are traditional, like, they've pretty much only been, like, henchmen characters. Those are all pretty disposable. And look, Goro's job is to lose. Like, he is there essentially to be a jobber before you get to fight Shang Tsung. But he's still, like, supposed to be, like, a pretty big deal hyped up 
Yeah, you're supposed to earn it so before was, you get to him. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised to see him be like kind of Cole's opener fight, so to speak. Like, yeah. and again, he gets swallowed by shadow, so we might very well see him. But again, this is something where I'm like, you could have used like Kintaro. Like, this feels like a studio note been like, people want to go, you have to use Goro. Yeah, now that he's, now that he's beat a 10 foot tall alien prince, uh, <laughs> then he has to fight the girl with sharp teeth. And he, he can't do it alone. <laughs> yeah, he needs help fighting right. the girl with sharp teeth, despite the fact that he beat the giant and four-armed monster to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Goro was. I feel this was too soon to use to have used Goro, especially on this like early a fight for him for Cole. What is going on in your neighborhood? <laughs> uh, it's Manhattan. That's New York. <laughs> oh, okay. The sweet okay. music of the streets. Yeah, it's <laughs> like oh. we don't even hear it anymore. That's just how constant. I keep forgetting where you live. I don't know why. All right, let's see here. Where am I? Uh, all right. I asked everybody if Shang Tsung and Natara are fucking. We all agree. They're totally <laughs> fucking. Totes fucks. All yeah. right. So Cabal uh, ports into Raiden's temple and strikes a deal with Kano and Goro. Do we need is... to talk about Cabal some more? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. sure. I, I, have one, I have one more thing to say about Cabal, which is I love him in this movie. Cabal feels like a guy who's definitely following barstool sports. On all social media <laughs> platforms. <laughs> Cabal's wild because like all we know about him really in this is when he shows up is that he is a guy all in black armor with glowy eyes. The fuck it sounds like this. <laughs> like like <clears throat> if you showed me a picture of that guy and we're like, what do you think he sounds like? Yep. That's not the voice that would yep. come out. I was stunned when he opened up his mouth in this movie for the first time. No. Ron, Ron was no. on the when couch. He tilted his me. head and made noise. And yeah. I was just like, what the fuck was that? So the thing about this movie's use of Govolvers, the traditional mythology is nothing because the traditional mythology does nothing with Cabal and never has. <laughs> Yeah, you know this guy Kano? He's a real asshole. You'd love him. You sound like the same, dude. Well, apparently that's why he's wearing the, what is it, iron lung? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know. Go over Earth, and then I'm going to show you the best place to get a Philly cheesesteak. It's going to be great. (laughs) He's always been one of my favorite characters to use in the game franchise, but I admit that I know next to nothing about him. But apparently in this movie, Kano, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so his deal is usually that he was in uh, the Black Dragon with Kano and stuff, oh. and pretty much worked did stuff like then. And then he gets introduced in Mortal Kombat three, where he's pretty much like, "Oh, I was on board with just like doing crime with the demon worlds and doing like black market stuff, full on human genocide invasions, maybe a little much." So they like, like, did it like they pretty much like burned him, and that's why he has to wear like all the mask and stuff like that. So he, so when he actually gets introduced as a playable character in three, he's kind of like a good, like he's introduced as like a good guy. But by then, Earthrealm good guys had like 12 people, so it's like he's kind of usually just like, okay, he's a character with like 
a really cool design and he has the awesome hook swords and the super speed is cool power. So concept wise, he has a lot of really cool stuff going on, but the plot for the most part is usually just doesn't know what to do with him. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> no, now we do. He's a guy from New York, you know, we got him to yeah. fire and, uh, now he just he works for Outworld. You know, this is good stuff. Yeah, as you do. <laughs> the most dangerous taxi driver in all of New York. <laughs> he is a prime suspect. He is a prime target for like any time they need like a good guy to die so they can turn into like a demon wraith minion for the bad guy. They're like, oh yeah, fucking kill Cabal. That no problem. <laughs> there you go. All right, so we get our our big battle sequence uh, in this next scene. I got to say, while we're on the subject of Cabal, I really, really liked the depiction of his kind of his flash powers that he he has in this movie. Um, You know, teleporting everywhere, using the hook swords uh, pretty effectively, and just really looking cool while doing it. Uh, For as much as I was thrown by his voice i definitely think that they did service to him being recognizable from the games and kind of fan servicing a lot of his moves and showing fans of that character what you want to see as he moves around the battlefield i thought that stuff was really really cool yeah uh Great we visual interpretation of the character and i thought both his fights against Liu kang were really cool yeah absolutely and um, this is the moment, I, th- I believe, where we get Sonya versus uh, Melina. And uh, Melina ends up stabbing her with one of her sighs and licks the blood off the blade and comes to the realization that Sonya is not one of the chosen. And so... The scene was... was that? I don't know what to say, just Melina literally licking Sonya's blood. I'm just like, this moment just felt so weirdly charged. <laughs> 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 so shortly thereafter, um, we get a little bit of, or at least the first fight between Sonia and Kano. And so this was the day that I was actually there and I was off camera for this scene. So the scene where Kano is grabbing Sonia's shoulder that she's been stabbed in and digging his thumb into it and kind of putting her on the ground and picks her up and throws her. We were all there for the filming of this scene. And, um, it's always like a, a big thrill when you're you're watching these movies that you've been uh, you've been to the sets and stuff that you could say that you were actually there for some of the things going on. Like we've walked around Raiden's temple. Um, I've touched a lot of the costumes. I held a lot of the weapons. Sub Zero's uh, sword that he makes out of the ice, uh, for example, which was quite heavy, uh, and a number of other things between the kunais and everything like that. But what you don't see obviously in the movie is that the scene where Kano is digging his thumb into Sonya's shoulder, they had to do so many takes of this just to see what the tone of it was going to be. And they were cracking up laughing in between every single take for this moment in the film. And you really got to see how much of like a family they were on set and how much that they, how much fun they're having in between all the violence and all the chaos. It looked like they were having so much fun making this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it feels like they real, really believed in it. Like one thing I love is that 
this movie, like this whole cast feels like, especially given how many of the actors are from uh, marginalized backgrounds, like this feels like a cast of really hungry, scrappy actors, like proving that there is like a role for them, like a place for them in Hollywood. These like big budget, like with like really all these like potentially big marquee franchise roles for them like for years to come potentially and i just i i'm just so happy that this movie has been a success because fucking hell they deserve it exactly like for all that the cole character is not as perhaps exciting as some of the others um like i I think he contributes to that sense of family quite a bit yeah um and i really like lewis tan oh my god and that's the thing like he's a vehicle for Lewis Tan, and Lewis Tan can sell this effing movie. Like that's yeah. the you know the beginning and the end of it is the like he can just market this movie. He can market anything. Like this is the movie that shows everybody that he can be a leading man, right? You know. Yeah. Even if Cole the character doesn't have as much um, to offer, like kind of mythos wise as the others like yeah i i love lewis Tan as like a leading man for this movie yeah yeah, yeah he sold it for me yeah, yeah. so in Especially, the midst you know, of uh, yeah. oh go ahead <laughs> yeah. oh well just you know he's talked about you know his uh struggles like kind of he talked about getting this about uh trying to like this role in the wake of not getting the role for song chi and mm-hmm. like that journey so it's and you yeah. know uh kind of his journey would have with him and all, like iron fist and everything so it's just nice to see things finally break his role uh his way uh so uh the actor lewis and his original history with this franchise is in mortal kombat legacy the live action web series he was cast in kung jin in the filmed but never aired third season. Oh my! Oh wow! That's crazy. That was a good. That so, was a. That was really good. Yeah. So he went from a supporting character in the canceled season of a YouTube series to the lead of the big budget like franchise mm-hmm. revival. Awesome. All right. Um. Ba-ba. So okay, all this all this madness is going on, and we're getting all these fights, and we're switching from character to character, and of course this ends in Natara getting sliced in half, and then Shang Tsung very promptly stealing the soul of Kung Lao in this very very emotional scene between uh, Liu Kang and Kung Lao, and Liu Kang's now got a grudge. We move over to Cole, and he's dealing with Goro. And Cole's wife decides that she's had enough of watching her husband get his ass kicked by this four-armed, gigantic thing. And she just says, fuck this, and grabs (laughs) the nearest axe and runs over and buries it into Goro's side. I loved her in that moment. Yeah. She is great. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely. Probably get whomped by Goro. <laughs> but I mean, does, she but I should have her died for doing it. Yeah, that, that, that should have just her, her rib cage should be dust after <laughs> that. <laughs> Goro backhanded her like he was swatting a fly. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really satisfying 
for her as a character. And I think this is literally, I mean, maybe the only moment that is satisfying for her as a character in this movie because mm-hmm. she doesn't have a lot to do. I mean, no. literally at the point that Liu Kang leaves them, she leaves the movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's she's not exactly in it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what she'll do from this point on in the movie is almost get killed again. Yeah. <laughs> she's constantly yeah. on the edge of being killed. Yeah. yeah. Really? Really? All- she survives so much more. She survives a hit from Goro and somehow survives being frozen for several minutes. Yes. Yeah, yeah I have to admit that I didn't She's know the if they were coming back powers. from that. Yeah. I know what you mean. Right? Like, that seemed uh, seemed pretty deathy to me. It's like we already saw a mother and child die by that exact they, same means in now, this movie. In so. the original one, though, the mother was also stabbed. There was quite a considerable amount of frozen blood uh, on her back. So she was also, like, actually injured before Frozen, so... Okay. I assumed that it actually so. went right through both of them because of the way she was holding him, so... Mm-hmm. Except Zero was straight savage with those two. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. very much like the uh, analogous daughter and wife of Magneto in X Men Apocalypse, where they just both got murdered as soon as they were on screen by being, you know, stabbed by or shot by one gun. Good yeah. Lord, I forgot about the entire Magneto has a wife and daughter plotline. That's the only part of that movie I've seen, because after that happened, I shut it off. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I mean, Uh, fair enough. (laughs) I I love this scene with with Goro. This is, um, Louis Tan was talking the other night (laughs) about, uh, they were doing a Mortal Kombat watch party, and he was talking about how this was the hardest scenes to film uh, like L.A. was saying, you know, several actors on top of each other with stilts uh, going through that barn and knocking all the the wood. Um, oh, God, what the hell is the word I'm looking for? Not panels. Like the posts. and the Yes, the posts. Timber? Thank you. Yeah. And the uh, timber. Yes. And after- I, I'm in love now with the idea that Goro is two kids in a trench coat. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Trying to get into the movies. With very long yeah. arms. Oh my God, 100%. That scene where Goro's trying to tear into the car is terrifying. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was quite pissed in that moment. And this is when Cole uh, is awakened, his arcana, arcana power basically erupts from the friendship bracelet that his daughter made for him. And he gets this kind of woven armor all around his chest and covers the greatness. And he gets these like (laughs) shock absorption powers and magical tonfas that are not identical. One of them has like this crazy blade end to it. And the other one's a little bit more traditional, but still covered in the braided material and he Cole really comes into his own as a Mortal Kombat, like an extreme Mortal Kombat character in this moment. And he just goes to town on Goro mm-hmm. with these tonfas and really, really messes him up before finally plunging the blade like one through his eye socket <laughs> and takes <laughs> out Prince Goro. Eye trauma, by the way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> way into I eye like- trauma. I like the woven visual iconography. I just don't like how... I just feel like that design needs a few more iterations beyond just three-quarter sleeve shirt. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just... Covering Louis Tan. That was just a poor choice. (laughs) It feels like... It doesn't feel like 
a total bomb of a character design, it it feels like a starting point for what can be. It does. Like a very visually striking Mortal Kombat yeah. character. I, I kind of hope that the uh, the shirt evolves, you know, somehow. As, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, like a symbiote. <laughs> I have read that with the that the writer with an interview with the writer he said that they did briefly consider that Cole would get like Scorpion's costume and powers and be like the next Scorpion. But they said like but then that makes Scorpion without that origin and that like right. attitude that makes him Scorpion. So they said like no no like Scorpion is Scorpion, Cole is Cole, and if they were gonna do it then he had to be like his own new character. And I definitely, for a while, thought it was going to be like, "Oh, here's Cole, the new young Scorpion." Yeah, yeah. Now I was you. You were uh, DMing with me and giving me your your theories. I was predicting that, and yeah, I mean, and then like right off the bat, they're like, "Oh yeah, this Cole guy is totally fucking Scorpion's descendant." No yeah. plot twist there. He is. Yeah. But you know what? The more time I have to think of it, and again, because Hiroyuki Sonata just is scorpion yeah like i just can't see anyone else as scorpion scorpion like anymore but yeah you know what i'm happy that they again if you're gonna introduce a new character i kind of like that they stood on their two feet and were like he is a new character and we're gonna be introducing him he's gonna be his own person mm-hmm. that's fair yeah. i mean i don't hate the, the the gold shirt idea it's very original you know and it gives him like a an edge to himself uh, but like uh, Ben said, you know, I do hope that it evolves more as as they go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Batman's first costume was shitty uh, too. So yeah. at least get at least get rid of the sleeves so we can see like them arms. See I, the do, guns. I do want to know, so like tank top. Yeah, yeah. you know, tank top what, and bracers. Yeah, turn it into Ooh, a braided yeah, belt. Yeah, yeah. Maybe oh, he gets a go. boob window. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Now we're thinking with portals. I'm telling you, braided belt solves all the problems. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it does. And then, oh, and then it could like just it could just move to wherever he needs the shock absorption. Yes. The only powers of if somebody punches him in the nuts, you know. (laughs) (laughs) When he's fighting Johnny Cage. (laughs) Very Johnny Cage move. All right, we're uh, we're almost at the end of this thing. So Jack, well, not more or less, Jack's weeks. Well, up. we have to we Go have ahead. to enter what I can only call what I can only assume what is called the reshoot void. <laughs> oh, yeah, the void. Uh, where do I have that in here? I have that in here somewhere. The reshoot um, void. Well, it's, well if Kung Lao is getting his soul sucked out, at that point, it's like the lightning's coming down and Raiden's getting them out of there. He just didn't get Kung Lao in time because. He is a man who is capable of teleportation, but never on time. And like, you know, if he had the void available to him, why were they not training there? You know, as soon as they were threatened, or you know, like six months ago, or you know, like ten years ago, or like time ago. Yeah. (laughs) Why didn't he just teleport everybody to his fucking temple in the first place? Right. Like I'm not saying. I'm just saying. And maybe a little (laughs) earlier in the game, you know, give everybody. He'd be like, oh, it's just so depressing. I mean, that could have been a plot point, right? People go crazy in the white. (laughs) I was just waiting until I got it decorated. (laughs) (laughs) That could be why they didn't train there. It's like, this this place doesn't look badass enough. Yeah, yeah. Those decorations in the hallways were not cheap. (laughs) (laughs) In come the guns. (laughs) 
<laughs> my people had to make a lot of watches before we could afford those. <laughs> so Raiden transports. So, oh, go ahead, Ben. We'll just, when we get this, I don't know if there's, maybe you probably know this was the original plan, but it just feels like there was some cut or something missing where they're like, well, let's just enter the void and have everyone just teleport where they need to be for like act three fights. Like yeah. we don't like something that actually explains where people, where and why people get to the locations maybe got cut or maybe they just never really figured it out. And the solution was void and teleportation. Yeah. For one-on-one mm-hmm. fight. This was the other part of the movie on my first watch that I felt was just very jarring in that we went from them being in the void to Cole deciding that, you know, we need to fight smarter and I'm going to, you know, pair everybody off with a fighter. And then all of a sudden it was just game time. It was on. Okay. But I've got a point here. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So yes, admittedly, there are plot holes big enough to drive an entire Fast and Furious movie through, but... (laughs) <laughs> this is in line with the original film. Like, I mean, let's be fair. Oh, yeah. Mortal Kombat, at least in the film franchise, I'll give you that, Steve, is not long on plot. <laughs> okay? <laughs> like, it's just I, not. Like, that's not why we're here. <laughs> I yeah. love yeah, this that's movie. True. Oh, yeah. Like, I have, like, despite finding a few things, like, this movie is joy. <laughs> uh-huh. It was exactly what I was looking for. It was exactly yeah. I mean, what I wanted out of a reboot. The movie captures the energy so perfectly. You can forgive a lot of the flaws. And, and it has mm-hmm. flaws and it definitely the things that can be done better. But, you know, it, I, I didn't mind. Like, I wasn't nitpicking it. Like, I was yeah. just enjoying the, the characters felt like the characters and the, the jokes were good. And uh, the fights, for the most part, were good. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Yeah, it was I, fun. My, it was exactly what I wanted. My I'm a big biggest, fan of the one-on-one fights we get here. Oh. My, my biggest area of confusion fusion with this third uh, act uh, was the, the the assertion of we can't wait until the tournament because then we'll have to fight people one-on-one. Why don't we all find a way to go fight people one-on-one and then we can do this before the tournament? I was like, you guys are not Earth, Earth Realm guys. You're bad at breaking rules because <laughs> that's just having a tournament yeah like i mean to be fair you, it wasn't the that, that people was, who didn't want the, <laughs> the, uh, the outworld people were the ones who didn't want the tournament exactly. and cole's like let's give them a tournament let's do one-on-one so it's mm-hmm. they flipped the script on them you know yeah i mean also in a tournament sonia can't just jump out and shoot people with purple energy to help <laughs> oh out. my I mean, god that was awesome <laughs> they, they are like they're in a position where they're hidden and i guess they would be having a tournament soon uh, in an indecipherable number of days. The my my thing was like, and this is this does end up coming back with the Sonya thing. It's like, hey guys, uh, they don't know you're coming. Why don't you all go kill one of them at a time? Like, just if you're ambushing somebody, you can do that together. Yeah. And then there's one less guy. Mm-hmm. And then if you do it fast enough, you can get everybody. And it's pretty certain that like, other than maybe Sub Zero. None of them are going to kill all of you. Um, But like, instead they're like, let's do something really sneaky. 
like have the tournament anyway. (laughs) I mean, it does mean that they can all be having their fights simultaneously, which theoretically means that, you know, they can't communicate to one another and warn them that the ambush is coming and whatnot. But end of the day, it's a Mortal Kombat movie. So therefore I want one-on-one fights. So I'm really not going to question any leaps in logic that get us the one-on-one fights. (laughs) I mean, my, my thing about this and like, obviously it's so that they can do a second movie where, you know, the tournament happens is like, why didn't we just go to the tournament at this point in the movie where it's like they get away. All right. And then we're going to have one-on-one fights. That's the definition of a tournament. Like, <laughs> why don't they just go there? And I guess, I mean, I guess the other answer to that would be like, Sonya couldn't be there yet, but yeah. And then plus at that point, it's right. like, there's 25 minutes left in the movie. Like that's not enough to actually like start and finish like mortal combat. They hadn't designed the bracket yet. Like nobody knew who was seated where. Like, <laughs> Oh if God, your plan is true. to have five movies, you need to drag it out. Ah. Yeah. yeah. Again, Just like, I I have no complaints about the, the plot of this movie as the act one pre-tournament plot. Like, yeah. I'm into it as with it serving that role in the story. I mean, at this point, the Heaven Dimension hadn't even finished their, like, league tournament, so they didn't know who was going from Heaven Dimension. And Exactly. <clears throat> <laughs> you know, All right. nobody knew who was representing. <laughs> Both sides just did not want this tournament to happen. No. First, the oh. bad guys are trying to prevent the tournament from happening, and then the good guys are pre- yeah, trying to I prevent did- it. It's like, I, I am laughing at when Raiden says, I'll put together a new list. Like, oh, what, you had a list all this time? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely had that thought. I'm like, doing. that was an option? You could do that? Like, where's that the whole Google Doc? <laughs> you could just make new champions whenever you want. Like, Raiden. <laughs> <laughs> you had one job. Raiden, buddy, you, you're not Wait, doing this. You were saying, you, I, we so need to have words, Raiden. <laughs> You made the list in advance and you still couldn't gather everyone? You knew who it was? Oh, Raiden. I know. Raiden. The hole wasn't that good. Raiden's the real Raiden villain of this movie. Failing at life. <laughs> you know, when he's uh, criticizing all of them, like, you don't have the mark. You suck. Yeah. Why well, don't like immediately, okay, I'm going to go to get the other ones because this isn't working. Raiden. Or how about I'm going to give you an, a mark because clearly you're good enough to get here. <laughs> I feel like what this conversation is really revealing is that the character truly just the fucking worst at his job is rated. A character who can apparently pick exactly who gets to be in the tournament and is also capable of teleporting them anywhere and yet chooses just fucking not to. Yeah, that's the title most of this powerful Raiden is the worst. Raiden is the worst. We have to gather the champions. Why? Why? <laughs> Fucking teleport them to the temple, then give them the exposition. <laughs> what what the funny King? if like, John you doing this pops in there with lightning? He's like, whoa, what am I? What's going on? Like, <laughs> what I really hope this is, is like, what is, and you know, maybe the sequel will show this to us, is I want to see the blackout Johnny Cage wakes up from when he wakes up now having a dragon mark on his body (laughs) (laughs) what he did for this to happen right seriously all right we're gonna lose some characters here before we get to the final battle you got some fatalities coming up with all of these square offs you got Jax versus reiko sonia versus kano alina versus cole and kang versus cabal Jax gets to do his clap fatality after he gets his mecha arms and just takes oh, Rico yeah. out. Just bop. Done. 
Kano gets gnomed uh, in Sonya's front yard after they have a scuffle inside of her oh, house. I loved that. that. Yeah, I love that. Do you think it still has the uh, snot gun. on it? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, right? Again, I really, it was a different kind of fight scene than just a full-on cry fight, but I thought it was a really interesting, I thought it was a little more military. It reminded me of a little Metal Gear boss fight a little bit, like hiding yeah, beneath. Yeah, like, I can see that. It, it was different, but it felt like it really played to Sonya's kind of like military background strengths. And mm-hmm. again, this was just, it was a different fight, but it was definitely a fight I really enjoyed. I love that move when she takes the shower curtain off and wraps it around his hand and then his neck and pulls him out of the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I thought that was that was quick thinking. Uh, what else do we got? We got Cabal versus Liu Kang. Cabal eventually loses and gets uh it's a he Liu Kang says fatality, but in my mind, it's this movie's only animality that we get with the, the fire dragon forming and then mm-hmm. going down and, and eating uh Cabal burning him up he's trapped in some kind of uh quicksand i know it's been more than 20 years but i'm gonna say the wounds of annihilation's animality is still too fresh (laughs) (laughs) at least nobody turned into a scorpion or a rhinoceros (laughs) i love that the one character who's deaf like i like cabal natara uh, like their deaths, like make sense. Like they don't really have much more to the franchise to offer. Really surprised to see. Uh, and again, death in this franchise is pretty impermanent. Not the last time we'll see Bihan. I can't imagine the last we'll be seeing of Kano. I'm surprised to see this movie introduce and kill Melina before even introducing Katana. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Katana was supposed to be in the movie at some point, but they didn't have room for her, if I remember correctly. I, mean, I get that. Yeah, I I got the feeling because I mean, if um, if I remember correctly, in the game, she's a sort of not a clone exactly, but like a you know sort of combination. You know, it's, it's like a half Tarkatan, which is Baraka's species, like clone it of is, Katana. It is possible that we see another of that in this in the yeah. sequel where we introduce katana you know like another clone it's like we just that makes sense yeah like in terms of katana not being in this movie i think that was the right call to though i guess it could have worked as like a shake sung villain henchman that like isn't too villainous and who survives but i don't know i think like that totally wouldn't have worked. Like I do like how they just fucking kick ass and take them out like, mm-hmm. and just win uh, and get those victories after the act two loss. Yeah. Um, but I, again, to once again, keep bagging on Scorpion's revenge. I'm so sorry <laughs> to people who are fans of Scorpion's revenge or who worked on Scorpion's revenge. Uh, that movie does choose to have Katana and she appears in literally one scene and it's jarring and her character really has no purpose in the movie. And she does feel like she's there just to check off a box. And it's like, and again, it's a one-to-one example of that makes you go like, yeah, they made the right call, not like including her. And again, between her and Johnny Cage, it's like, there's now multiple characters that like, I'm really Really excited excited. for the sequel to introduce. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, yeah. I honestly don't care about Johnny Cage. I'm, I'm sorry for everybody who loves him. I know he's a favorite, but I just, I cannot bring myself to care is about there, Johnny Cage. Uh, is there, I love Katana. Is there an actor they could cast that would change that for you? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, let me think on that. I will think on that. <laughs> I mean, he's, I feel like Johnny Cage, I, I don't, I'm not a big Johnny Cage fan, but I feel like if you just go like straight up Guy Gardner with him, like he is a, an actor asshole that is unlikable but very funny and he's he's, he can be sort of the you know hero kano that's Um, the way to i mean that's the way to go with him is like hollywood guy gardner that is the the direction to take johnny cage in yeah i just for me i don't like the unlikable funny like i Mm -hmm. it's just that doesn't suit me my personality wise so that's why he doesn't really appeal i mean to me. one of the highlights uh to me in mortal kombat 11 is when they pair up old johnny cage with young johnny cage yes and yes. it's young johnny cage like maximum like the asshole like and everything we think of with johnny cage and then there's old johnny cage who's gone through all of these uh years of character development oh. he's like in his 50s as opposed to like 30s so like he's only wiser has like a wife has like a daughter like and you know is and is like the heart of gold with just like the heart of gold is on the surface with just a little bit of jerky snark as opposed to jerk with heart of gold and it's just joyous seeing how much older johnny cage fucking hates the shit out of his younger self hey that i would watch that's funny i like that <laughs> yeah I'm I'm not a huge fan of of the way that this uh, movie kind of treats the the female villains, especially. I mean, mm-hmm. Melina is she kind of dies dies of a cheap shot. She gets you know robbed of having like a real good fight scene in here anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Natara like is a big bag of nothing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like they introduce her, and she's like, she's the most deadly hunter we have. She got killed by a hat. Well, and um, like they introduce her right off with, "Isn't she so beautiful?" Like that's that's the source of her value. She's uh, we, so beautiful. What, what saying it, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, fair. That is a decent point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like my girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Once you do meet my girlfriend, she's the best at murder she's so good at it watch her she kills good like she doesn't even have a scene post introduction where she just like kills somebody like they say she's good at killing people and then the one person that she tries to kill she fails at very badly Mm -hmm. Um, so much she doesn't speak once like she screeches a little but she doesn't have a single speaking Mm -hmm. line Mm-hmm. Nope. Yeah, because I remember, like, I had a, a friend who was upset about the lack of like female characters in this movie. That, like, especially in the advertisements, like Melina and Sonia are the only ones that show up at all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, it says that you know Natara is in it, so like it's, it's something else. Um, because in in particular, like, it's very short on um, the the sort of beastly women of Mortal Kombat, like the women whose primary thing isn't like. Ooh, sexy ninja! Oh, um, Young's wife gets more act, get does more action than Natara. Oh, yeah. that's right. It's true. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like she is a flying demon huntress creature. Like, do something with her. Like, don't just waste her on on like. I mean, it's a great special effect. I love the like sawing in half, but like, 
it's just you know one one nothing. thing that, uh, that I'll give the the ninety five movie is that it had a lot of henchmen. You know, literally faceless yes. henchmen they could throw just for that purpose, and they so, did. <laughs> yeah, I uh, there was one aspect of the movie that I didn't understand why Shang Tsung didn't bring more of the people from Outworld into the Earth realm, uh, just in terms of like an army to give them trouble and maybe help them take out the warriors. Like, I guess it's a villain confidence thing and that, you know, his warriors are the best and so on and so forth. Yeah. So I have a big question about the gym in general. Yeah. This place is completely frozen over. And then at the end of the movie, it was like, Oh, I'm going to go find Johnny cage. This gym owner acts like his, his business (laughs) Was not been turned into a frozen hellscape. That's a good like the point. Damage alone. Oh my god, you're right. I didn't I even think, think about, about it. it. Yeah, no. Problem. I guess uh, Liu Kang just warmed the place up after a bit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Sublimation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was him and the demon from hell that was blowing fire all over the place. True. <laughs> that place would yeah, be but trashed, he'd be though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so trashed. Oh he made an ice wall. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. to throw Scorpion through it. How amazing is that moment? Oh, my God. When right after stabbing appeared. him with the blood spike? Oh, but no, like when yeah. Scorpion first appears, when the speed, when Zero gets hit with oh the spear, God. and then like they use the themes a few times, like they mix it in, like when Liu Kang is doing the bicycle kick against Cabal, like they wouldn't. <laughs> But now in big triumphant, the beats of like the of the theme song kick in and yes. there's Scorpion. Ah! Oh my god, and his oh, entry oh, line, I have risen from hell to kill you. Yeah. It's just like I was that's the moment that sold me on the movie. Is like yeah. I had been watching the whole thing to this point, and I was like, I like some of what they're doing, I don't like some of what they're doing. Scorpion pops up and he's like I've risen from hell to kill you. And I was like, yes! (laughs) You thought I, you sent me to hell thinking I would die and be tormented forever. And I fucking figured it out. I tamed (laughs) hell. I figured out how to use hell to come back and kick your ass. Like, so great. Yeah. That's why I'm glad they didn't try to make Cole like the next scorpion. Because after Hiroyuki Sonata says that line, how can you ever accept anyone else in this no, franchise no. as Scorpion? So. Hiroyuki Sonata also, says, I am Scorpion bust. now, as if somebody knows what that means. Okay, good for you. I'm just Sub-Zero like, Zero does the same thing. He's like, I'm not by out anymore. I'm Sub-Zero. Mm-hmm. And then Scorpion is like, I'm Scorpion now. And it's like... There- it's like uh spider-man uh talking to dr strange and oh we're using our funny names okay i'm spider-man <laughs> you've been uh, talking about the animated movie and i will give it this it gave our actual reason for the name <laughs> yes that i liked i did like that it gave us some like connection to the like scorpion as well as just being a random like oh, my name's scorpion now also, like cool i'm barry i guess also i have one i have one big question about this scene which <laughs> is um at various points sub-zero and scorpion speak in japanese and chinese it is unclear whether Cole or anybody else in this scene speaks Japanese or Chinese. I don't um, think they do. And if Cole has no. any idea what the fuck is going on. I'm, I'm, I'm positive <laughs> that he has no fucking idea. Cole's superpower here is shirt 
and pretty. Like, <laughs> okay. Does this yeah. guy know that this is his ancestor risen from hell? I mean, to I, I don't know that, you know, at one so. point, at one point, the scorpion's like, "I trust you to carry on my lineage," and Cole's just like. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, it's okay. the guy from the hot flashes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, <laughs> like, the hot flashes. It is established that Cole is an orphan from the south side of Chicago, which means that like he didn't know his parents. Like, presumably they're but here's you know, the thing. he did not learn Japanese from his household. We are um, four hundred years removed from them anyway. Cole's being an orphan is a complete coincidence. <laughs> This bloodline could have gone through multiple rounds of orphans, like right. for completely unrelated reasons. Well, and yeah. even if they still spoke Jap, like even if Cole spoke modern Japanese, the chances of him being able to communicate effectively with someone who spoke Japanese from the 1600s, like language yeah. evolves. Yeah, like we are arguably yeah. talking about just multiple generations of people born and raised in Chicago. I, yeah, I, I just, mean, I I've talked to people this, from like, Chicago. I just had this like revelation as I was watching the end of this scene and they talk to each other. I was like, does Cole speak Japanese? He does not. No. I don't think he does. No. And he definitely doesn't speak Chinese. Cole has no idea what the fuck's going on. No. Not even a little bit. Like, so funny. I'm not going to beat this ice up. You well, do you, boo. At some point, he's like, he must be like, well, the ice guy is definitely trying to kill me. Yeah. And that guy is trying to kill the ice guy. So... Of I guess I'm going to work with the demon from hell. He seems yeah. more on my side. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> the enemy of my enemy is a demon from hell. <laughs> I guess we're working together. Thanks, Grandpa no judgment, Demon. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> no judgments. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I will see you at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody can be the good guy. Demon. <laughs> they really Scorpion really saves the fire for the end. Mm-hmm. So instead of feeling like uh, I saw someone say online, instead of feeling like fire and ice, it feels like ice versus pulling. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Oh my God! I'll see you at Christmas. That Granted, me. when he does get when he does reveal the fire, like I love the effect that he starts out with because in the games it's normally like ah I'm a skull face, bah, fire. But I love the effect that he starts out with human face. It's just like that, bah, fire. Just exactly like that. Fucking nailed it. <laughs> Exactly. That's what exactly right is in the games. I like that it starts with human face, and then like the fire burns his face away to just be a skull underneath. Yes. This is pretty cool. It's very, uh, very Ghost Rider in yes. that moment. And then he regenerates his face because everyone knows that's a dope as shit effect, and he has to do it over and over yes. again. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the, the same with the mask right? back first. Uh, the mask back, the face goes back together. Mm-hmm. I, I want to take a moment just to compliment because we've talked about the character, but we haven't really talked about how awesome Joe Taslam is. Oh sucks. my god, yes, amazing! Thing, and and this scene in particular, I mean, he he just sells like, yeah, I'm the bad guy here, you know. I'm like, just I don't like the way he works with his eyes, you know. Uh, I do have a bone. Doesn't though. talk a lot. He's not a really effusive bad guy. When the they said though, he says so much with his face, as you said, with his eyes. He's he's very. I don't know. He, uh, my bone to pick with this is the same bone that I had to pick with covering Lewis Tan. You put a mask on Joe Taslam's face. Ah, uh, true. Like, oh my God, it's Joe Taslam. Look at that man's he, he face. He makes it work. He really I, makes it work. I he really does. Didn't know what to expect when they put a said. Put bag on that man. And he'd make it work. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a, true. True. When they said that Sub Zero was going to be the main villain, 
I think it turned out to be one of, if not the best parts of the movie. Like uh-huh. he's so mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Like I loved it. Like his version of Bihan, like again, like the choreography is never better than when he's on screen. It's never yeah. more engaging. Yeah. Like it, it's the most memorable like performance of the whole movie. Oh yeah. I feel like it turns into a different movie when it's the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's a it, it's a really great performance. Joe Taslim is absolutely amazing. Everybody wanted to fight him in the movie. There were people in this movie that were disappointed that they didn't share any fight scenes with him. Uh, he actually had a PlayStation 4 in his trailer where everybody would go in between uh, shots and play Mortal Kombat. That's I love that. I love that. In an interview, he said that he would eat ice cream to stay in character. To eat. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> ah. I want every time before, like they they shot a thing, and we just ah, oh, cool. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I want good things for this cast forever and ever. Right? Oh my Absolutely. god. Absolutely. All right, let's wrap this up here. Uh, Scorpion uh, breathes his fire on Sub Zero after Cole and. Uh, Scorpion team up and and defeat him. Raiden and the gang show up and basically warns them that the battle is not over yet. And Raiden wants the group to find more warriors to fight for their side. Cole is off to Hollywood to find Mr. Johnny Cage. Mm -hmm. And this is when you know that they're banking on that sequel that it looks like we're definitely going to get. Yeah. So yep. then we also get the new version of that banger. Yep. <laughs> Mortal Kombat soundtrack. <laughs> get the I remix. I just love <laughs> that it's Citizen Cage. Like that's also like when was the last time an action movie character was just straight up named for the actor? Right. Just not even pretending. <laughs> like I, I mean, feel like that's the next step in Nicolas Cage's career is it, but like but, is it a, like a hollywood movie or is it just like a sort of like self-funded you know <laughs> i don't know it's something that has a poster up in the in the mma dojo yeah that doesn't answer the question <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's go around the room go around the table and give our final thoughts on on the movie do you do you think the franchise is in good hands at New Line? And would you want to see Simon McQuaid and the writers return for the sequel? Jeremy. Oh, boy, you start with me. Um, <laughs> look, um, <laughs> I have mixed feelings about this movie. I, I think I've kind of made that clear throughout uh, all of my mixed feelings revolve around the director and the writers of this movie because I have no complaints about the cast whatsoever. I think everybody acting in this movie is amazing. Everybody fighting in this movie is very good. The special effects are incredible. Like they do a great job throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of questions for the director about what sort of research they did on watching fight scenes and other like Kung Fu movies to like come up with this stuff. Cause like, I mean, Joe Taslam knows what he's doing. You could really put him on screen fighting without having to make a whole bunch of born identity cuts. Like, um, you know, this is not 
this should not be a like Paul Greengrass hundred cut action movie. Um, like, and I, I think it suffers a little bit from that. And I think it, it suffers a little bit from some of the like plot being a little weak, some of the writing not being as strong as it could. Um, that said, like, I absolutely want to see a sequel to this movie because like, I love these actors. I love how seriously they've taken it. I love how much promotion and how much work the actors have done, like absolutely offset oh, for this 100%. movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, their, their push for this movie as a collective, as a group has been nothing short of amazing, especially with such a small window for them to do so when some movies have a really, really long window to promote their stuff, even a year out. And Warner Brothers made that move to push uh, a lot of their tentpole releases to HBO Max. And they had to crank out the hype for this movie to get people even aware of it because everybody forgot that it was even happening because it had been yeah. in the works for so long. And they they really, really came together and hit the social media and hit the cities with posters and giant like building sized uh, promotionals for this. And I was really, really blown away by the lead up to this movie in the short amount of time that they had for it. Yeah. And I, I genuinely think the first act and third act of this movie are pretty spectacular. The second act is a bit long and unwieldy and does some, you know, character stuff that I'm not overly fond of. Um, and, and wastes some characters that they go to great lengths to introduce. Um, so like, ultimately this was a thing that like in the middle of it, I couldn't have told you where I was going to come down on it, but literally at the point that like Scorpion steps out of hell and says that, you know, he has risen from hell to kill Sub-Zero. I was like, yes, yes, this, this is it. This yeah. was it right here. This, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. this is what we should have had maybe two or three more of in the course of the movie, because like there's a chunk in the middle there where like, I mean, at least she didn't make it to the end. Like, she had a lot of funny things to say at the beginning, but she fell asleep in the middle of this movie, <laughs> which, like, is not a problem you could possibly have with the original Mortal Kombat movie. Um, because it it moves at such a sometimes bizarre clip that, like... <laughs> yes, it does. You know, you're... Fights you're struggling. smash cut into each other from yeah. one to the yeah. next in that movie. Sometimes you're struggling to figure out what's even going on. Yeah. Um but yeah, there's a lot of like the training sequence in this where it relies a little heavily on on Kano to be the only real person who's not like a kicked puppy um, you know, <laughs> through that section is like it's it it's rough. But like ultimately, I, I really like the movie, and like I'm hoping that the way that this movie wraps up is a good sign for the second movie. Um, you know, and, and its ability to like, just go ahead and jump in and, you know, be fun all the way through. Uh, Cause I, I think it, it has certainly has that potential. Is there anybody, any character that you particularly want to see in the sequel that we didn't get this time? Um, I would like, I mean, the um, Sonya did a great job. Like she's the only female character who gets any real fight scenes in this movie. Uh, Melina's, fighting is all special effects. Like she doesn't really fight. She teleports and then she's gone yeah. and yeah. she, you know, does face special effects, which like, I would like to see, I mean, I'd like to see Melina back. I liked, 
I like this actress, uh, Sissy. What's her last name? Um, I will look. Sissy Stringer. Yes, Sissy Stringer. Sissy Stringer. I liked Sissy Stringer. I would have liked to see her get more to do. Uh, I definitely would like to see, you know, Katana show up in, in the next one. Um, I would love to see them do a good Johnny Cage just because he'll be fun. Um, but mostly I, I would just like to see, uh, you know, a slightly slightly better rounded showing from the both the female and the villain side of the next movie. Right on. All right. L.A., how about you? What uh, what characters would you like to see in the sequel? And what do you think? Uh, how do you think New Line is handling the Mortal Kombat property? Are you excited for them to do another one? Oh, yeah. No, I definitely want to see a sequel of this. I do want to, like I said, it's not a perfect movie, but what it gets right, it really gets right. And I just think they should double down on that, you know. And I think, uh, you know, for a first-time director, because this is his first movie, um, yeah. I think he did really good, honestly, all things considered. Uh, so he could definitely, I think, improve on it if he gets a chance to do that. Uh, writing could have been a little better, you know, like keep that tone of the third act all the way through. That would be <laughs> great. But uh, in general, I do think, you know, uh, I believe that uh, artists can grow from developing and, you know, expanding on something that they've already made. So I, I do see potential for that here. So I do think uh, the team in charge could do better if they want to bring new writers or a new director, I guess, you know, depends who they bring. But uh, I like so far what they've done. And um, I, I do think, you know, another thing that surprised me is that the budget of this movie is actually really small. It's only like $50 million, which, you know, they definitely made good use of it. Yeah, uh, yeah like, for sure. I think if they're going to do a sequel, they need to at least double it, you know, and like really bring it for the tournament and have more characters with more special effects and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, as far as what characters I'd love to see um, besides Deborah, uh, <laughs> uh, I'd love to see Katana, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd love to see like Noob Saibot bring back, you know, with uh, Sub-Seer and Joe Taslin come back. And uh, I think I think we're all guaranteed Noob Saibot for yeah. any sequels. Um, Joe Taslin's five movie contract. And I want to see more of Hiroyuki Sonata uh, as um, Scorpion and uh, just, you know, like build on the characters that you've already established. I mean, definitely bring more, but I really wanted them to like explore more of Liu Kang, more of Cole, uh, more of uh, Sonia, just like build on that dynamic that that works. So, yeah, just we'll see what And definitely one more of Chin Han just sucking people's souls. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. we didn't mention it, but one of my favorite Cabal lines, his soul's about to get sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Sound. about to get sucked. So it makes a sound like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Bronwyn, how about you? Are you confident with New Line uh, holding on to Mortal Kombat? Do you want to see Simon McQuaid come back? I wouldn't mind actually seeing Simon McQuaid come back because I think LA has an excellent point in that there's a lot of room for growth there, growth as an artist and 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 things like that. Um, I think Jeremy also has an excellent point in that I wouldn't mind seeing mm, some changes in the writers' room, maybe um, like not maybe ha- perhaps an entire restaff, but maybe some new blood. Yeah, couldn't hurt. Um, but like the casting director for this was so effing brilliant. So whoever was responsible for that you know, deserves an award. And 
honestly, the costumes were incredible. I yeah. love the practical effects were incredible. And like, so like New Line got a lot right. Like Ellie made an excellent point with that, where they, what they got right, they got really, really, really right. And I think one of those things was the, the feel of it, the heart of it, the spirit of like that 95 movie and, and mm-hmm. what I was looking for in this, you know, was excellent fighting, um, a great cast, uh, that, that sense of fun in it and a good sound, like a, a fun soundtrack that I wanted that music because that music was such a big part of the original movie and how much fun I had with it. And then I got all of these things. Um, and then there were things that I think that this movie actually did better for me than the 95 movie. Like um, Sonia was so much better. So mm-hmm. I really loved for that. Sure. Um, that for was a sure. huge thing for me. Um, mm-hmm. So now yeah, I'm really looking forward to time, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>, Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and she didn't only fight the, the other girl. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a yeah. big deal for me. It's something that I always look at with movies like this is, yes. we, you yeah, know, when you have a, a girl villain and a girl good guy, you know, they always have to fight each other. There's never an option for anybody to fight anybody. No, no. She's like, oh, can you tell me I get the girl with the teeth? And he's like, no, you're going to fight Kano. And I was like, okay, thank you for that. That was it's actually. Sonya-Kano yes. rivalry is one of the hallmarks of the franchise. And was- I was so happy with the way this movie like developed and built it and yeah again Kano has to come back and I want to see that rivalry just continue to be yeah uh, a plot line in these movies because mm-hmm. it's great and those actors are great together exactly but like yeah I would um I would like to see more robust female characters in the second film um like just even in number i'd like to see more representation for the mm-hmm. the, the women in this so yeah some, give me give me some deborah <laughs> 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 and i definitely want to see katana katana was one of my faves from the first one and i just yeah. i always like her i love the fans that's always been a favorite of mine um i love her move set so much it's so great that it's move where she spins her fans and lifts people up into the air so yeah. good so like I'm looking forward to a lot of that. So I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful based on this one and how much they got right. I'm really hopeful for the sequel. I'm looking forward to that. So. All right. Uh, Kathleen, for you, same questions. Uh, Are you excited by the idea of there being a sequel? And do you think that the same team should be heading up the next movie? I am excited for a sequel. I really want to see Sasha's purple powers now. We just saw the very bare intro, and I want to see like her do her purple magic that she just got. Yeah. Like hopefully, hopefully we have her in the next movie. And I pretty much agree with everything that everybody else has said. I, <laughs> I I'm like I just back up everything that everyone has said and. As far as like, you know, just just going back to like the conversation I was having earlier today, just from my perspective, I was like, um, my my friend who I was talking to was like, oh, I heard on the internet that the new Mortal Kombat movie wasn't very good. And I'm like, well, I will tell you why I liked it. And I'm not even someone with a long history with this franchise, but here's what I loved about this movie. It was like, um, Every character, they were from these like completely different dimensions. It's kind of like with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's like you have these characters that are like Columbia and Riff Raff and Magenta and they don't have anything. They're like different 
completely from different dimensions and completely different realities. And, and the person I was talking to was like, I, as soon as you say Rocky Horror, I immediately see everything that you're talking about. It's like, it's like everyone knows just who they are and everyone is just, you win if you max out your own thing. Yeah. You know, there is no like hierarchy of some are better than others by default just because of how their powers are or whatever. Like everyone has their own like, you know, specific, like complete like power set that if they just develop on their own thing, they're going to be just as good as like a storm god or something. That's a good point. I like that. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. And when they were all standing together, I'm like, you guys just like look so awesome because you're all just so different and you all just complement each other so well and you're all just so like just like this completely like just unique thing in yourself and everyone was just so and, it, and it's partly because of how into it the actors all were yeah. it's just like yeah i am just so into being like and i'm just like that's a great message just like <laughs> be exactly who you are be a hundred percent who you are it's a very oh, passionate movie yeah yeah you know, be, between the, the the acting and the characters happening on screen to like Jeremy was saying, the way that they were promoting it and everything yeah. like that, there's a, a real sense of camaraderie and everybody wanting this movie to achieve its goal and to go big and be bigger. And it is like mm-hmm. it it really did perform well. It broke a bunch of records and it's, you know, one of these movies that is showing that diversity and paying attention to the characters and their lore and casting the right people for the right roles that it can go a long way mm-hmm. and Hollywood needs to pay attention to that and take note and stop, you know, stop being afraid to have your characters actually be the characters, stop whitewashing shit and yeah. just do it, you yeah. know? Yes. So, uh, uh, Ben, what, um, where, where, where do you stand? What, uh, you think this team has a good handle on everything? Yeah, I mean, my big thing would be, you know, I'm kind of into, I feel like, uh, who's the right, what's the writer? Greg Russo has a good handle on the lore and the characters. Uh, so again, definitely, Kimo, everyone's saying about needing more women characters. Uh, I definitely think he's a good person to kind of keep shepherding the, the story. He definitely seems to have a real good handle on the world and knowing which changes to make and why and when to and make them for the right and making them for the right reasons without uh really making anything unrecognizable uh simon mccoy you know i think deserves a lot of credit because again this movie is essentially a mortal Kombat movie following annihilation has been in some stage of development hell for upwards of 20 years mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. i think it I think there has to be a lot of credit for to the person that finally succeeded in being the person to put the project together and shepherd it and get it over the finish line. And again, I love, love this movie. I would have no problem like adding it to my annual Mortal Kombat watch of 95. Like it's a hell of a double feature now. <laughs> you did uh, it today. But, <laughs> <laughs> way to do it. But yeah, there's a lot of growth to be had, especially with the way fight scenes were directed and edited. And yeah. uh, I think it's definitely necessary. Look, and I think it can happen. I mean, I think just taking a look at uh, WB's recent MonsterVerse franchise, you know, I was really 
not, I really was not a fan of the 2014 Godzilla reboot. Uh, didn't find much to be a fan of, but those movies kind of, you know, they took the criticism, they figured it out, they improved it. And by the time you get to Godzilla vs. Kong, I'm having myself a fun old time and having a blast <laughs> watching it. So, but yeah, and in terms of New Line, I mean, I think, you know, the video, we've talked about the video game curse for movies. I mean, you're starting to see it be run by Detective Pikachu, Sonic the Detective Hedgehog. Detective Pikachu was so good. I love Detective Pikachu. It was so good. Was amazing. That was a good movie. But, making the jump from video game to movie though one of the most like preposterously difficult things for any video game franchise to do yeah and mortal kombat has now done it twice mm-hmm. yeah like at, at what point does it that become a big part of its history and its place in video games as the video game that proved video game franchise movies could work and did it multiple times I really hope that uh, Uncharted doesn't turn out to be a wreck. I have my doubts about that movie. I just think of, I just think it's so unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. That was already like the most cinematic feeling game I ever played. Casting for it is weird. Tom Holland has like no confidence in his performance for that movie. I've read some interviews with him and I'm just like, oh boy. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Uncharted. Uh Anything else that you want to say, Ben, before I give my thoughts and we uh, start to go through the wrap-ups? Just, you know, I was real pleased as a long-time fan. And, again, I'm really, real hopeful we get a whole bunch of sequels and really get to see this series be everything it can be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've seen the movie three times now. And I have to say, I think I enjoy it more and more with each watch. And it's a lot of fun. I would really like to see the sequels really, really, really dig their heels in and go for that Mortal Kombat wackiness. You know, we've talked a lot about where the series can go and how absolutely ridiculous it gets, especially in the later entries of the game series. I would love to see them bring characters back and there be like hellish nightmare versions of people that have died. Um, go ahead, Ben. And just in terms of characters, I love to see for sequels. Oh yeah, like I said, I love to see like Liu Kang have to fight like Rafe Kung Lao. That'd be a fun way to yeah. bring Whoa. Max back and yeah. get more Kung Lao. Uh, and just in terms of characters, in addition, obviously, everyone's saying uh, with Katana, uh, I would really like to see Shao Kahn. How this franchise will do that? That's kind of like you know, kind of the franchise's archetypical big bad. And the last time we saw him in live action was kind of the either the low point or the high point of the movie, depending <laughs> on your point of view. Yeah. Uh, so I would really like to kind of see how like this movie would really try to do like a truly imposing and terrifying take on Shao Kahn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, for me, character wise, Katana, of course, I would like to see them work Baraka in somehow. Uh, maybe the army that comes along with that. Jade, I think, would be a great character. Cyrax and Sector, I think, would be fun to kind of reintroduce and do something with the two of them. And yeah, I mean, like I said, for for everything that I've seen when I when I was there and the vibe that this movie has with it and the people behind it, everybody is so genuinely proud of what they've done. 
and they're so energetic about making more of these and they, you know, supposedly they have a plan and I would like to see them be able to, you know, iterate on taking the criticisms that they've had for the movies. I know that they are paying attention to a lot of the feedback. Uh, I've seen Greg Russo in particular say, you know, we are taking notes and we are making, you know, changes for next time. And I think they made a lot of solid decisions for this mm-hmm. first film and didn't overpack it, maybe underdelivered in some, some regards, but at the end of the day, it is just a fun ride. And for the, the video game to movie curse being a very, very real thing, they took a property, a beloved uh, property and film from 1995 that people really, really enjoyed. And they did it again in a fresh way with cool effects and stuck to the practical effects, which I think was a really, really smart move for them, you know, and uh, just a lot of wise decisions being made uh, to reintroduce this property. And I hope that they get to make a lot more of these movies because I think when all is said and done, it will be a really fun marathon to have. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the more more ridiculous, the better, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. So, all right, that's going to do it. For the Mortal Kombat 2021 film. Wow. All right. So we've been at this for a long time. We're going to go around the room. Jeremy, tell me, where can people get in touch with you? And please uh, pimp any kind of upcoming projects that you have before we get out of here. Yes. So uh, you can find me online on Twitter and uh, Instagram at jrome58. Uh, that's the best place to reach me. I do have a website, which is jeremywhitley.com. It's not a great place to reach me, but it's good to look at some of the stuff I've done. Um, and obviously, you can listen to Ben and my podcast, Progressively Horrified, which we do with uh, our friend and collaborator, Emily Martin, and a number of guests and friends and um, all sorts of stuff where we talk about uh, progressive politics and scary movies, um, which is is a lot of fun and, and is a lot like uh, what we've done here tonight. We make jokes and we talk about uh, ways that movies are good, ways that movies could be better. <laughs> um, uh, so that's great. Uh, we've got a bunch of episodes of that up now. Um, as far as comics... Um, you know, uh, anybody listening to this has probably heard of both Princeless and or Raven the Pirate Princess, which is a spinoff of that, which, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we've been doing for, you know, 10 years at this point. Uh, wow. So, yeah, those are, um, those are definitely worth checking out. Uh, there's also, you know, you can find the new collected edition of Unstoppable Wasp um, out there that has the whole second volume of the series. Um there's also uh, our my newest series, School for Extraterrestrial Girls, which I do with my friend uh, Jamie Noguchi. Uh, the first volume of that is out now. The preview of the second volume is coming out for free comic book day. Ooh. Uh, which is oh, I saw the cover soon. for that. Yay. Yeah. Yeah, Jamie did a uh, uh, Breakfast Club homage for the cover of that with our, our alien girls. Um, and then we have the, the second volume is coming out in the fall. Um, so that'll be... That is a lot of fun. That's going to be an exciting one to check out. Um, and uh, a, a lot more stuff coming. So, you know, check those out and keep your keep your ears open for new stuff. And there are always My Little Pony comics coming out. 
some of which I've written. I've written over 50 of them now. So nice. uh, if you're looking for more stuff to read of mine, there's <laughs> a lot of those. L.A., <laughs> <laughs> how about you? What? Uh, where can people get in touch with you? And would you like to promote anything before we get out of here? Um, you know, they can usually find me on Twitter, uh, you know, under L-A-C-H writer. Uh, that's my handle. Uh, I also have an Instagram, although I barely use it now, to be honest. Uh, my website, wickedsuitproductions.com, is a good way to look at everything I've done or doing. And um, uh, I do have a comic that I'm making right now that I just kickstart, uh, made a Kickstarter for called The Preserve, which is, um, you know, hopefully have it later this year and hopefully people check it out and like it. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Uh, Bronwyn, what, uh, where can people get in touch with you? And would you like to promote anything before we get out of here? <laughs> well, you can find me on all the things social at shiny baby V. Um, promotion. Well, uh, hmm. I, I'm really proud of my work on our data side of our SARS-CoV-2 in wastewater <laughs> development. I don't know. You can check that out. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> check that out by not getting sick. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let her great predictive you. modeling opportunities. <laughs> Bronwyn has has crafted quite a few things in the past few years, especially during COVID, writing methods and doing all kinds of sciencey things. <laughs> I hear all about yay it, and science. it's wonderful. Yes, yay, yay science. science! It works, bitches. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. And if it doesn't, then do more science. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm saying. Kathleen, where can everybody get in touch with you? And would you like to promote anything? Sure. Uh, I'm on most of the things at Conscious Dust. So definitely Instagram and Twitter at Conscious Dust. And I'm mainly on Instagram these days. I forgot Facebook existed. Uh, <laughs> and I keep fair. remembering that. It, oh, that again. Uh, but Instagram <laughs> is where all my most recent stuff and my announcements usually winds up. Um, I have a comic called The Angel Kerbop. <laughs> and I have a few, I have a few like stories that are finished that can be found on my Etsy. And you can follow breadcrumbs to all that from my Instagram. I'm working on going to be kickstarting sometime this year an oracle deck called the inner mask oracle and yeah yeah it's a very interesting one and i i'm I'm kickstarting it just so that that uh well uh you you know just to just to make it finished finish this project say this is done now and uh have other oracle decks on the way I have a rune deck, which is done, which is called the Utopian Futhark, and that also Ooh. can be found linked from my Instagram. And I think that's about it. Well, that all sounds it. awesome. Yeah. Ah, Very cool. Ben, would you like to, where can people get in touch with you and what do you have coming up? So you can find me uh, mostly on Twitter at, at BenTheCon. A renegade Rule, a queer esports action comedy uh, published by Dark Horse Comics, uh, co-written by myself and Rachel Silverstein with art by Sam Beck, is out in comic stores May 26th and bookstores everywhere June 8th. And then uh, in September, we have the release of 
uh, Ubisoft's Immortals Phoenix Rising's uh, graphic novel tie-in by myself and Giorgio Brooks. Uh, so check that out. It'll be all about uh, Phoenix reconnecting uh, with her mother and Zeus and having themselves a big old Greek mythology adventure. I love it. Yay. I love it. I can't wait to check that out. I love that game so much. <laughs> I can vouch for Renegade Rule. It is awesome. Yes. Um, ditto. Yes. So good. Like literally laugh out loud. <laughs> I can't wait to get our hands yeah. on a physical copy. I know. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you want to find me on the internet, I am at dead underscore anchorus, both on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, you could find me most Wednesdays hosting this show. We've been kind of uh, rotating the hosting chair a little bit because sometimes Steve needs a day off. And uh, I just want to thank everybody for being here this evening. This was kind of in the works for a little bit and we finally were able to all get together and uh i just want to say thank you to jeremy and la and bronwyn and kathleen and ben for talking mortal Kombat with us this evening and we hope that you have all enjoyed the show don't forget that we have our 500th podcast coming up in just a short amount of weeks you can send an audio file, wave or MP3, please, to podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are already starting to get submissions. It's been very exciting to hear from some of our listeners. And uh, it could be whatever you want. Tell us your Talking Comics origin story. Ask us a question. Um, send a congratulations, whatever you'd like it to be. Uh, we will listen to those. We will screen those. <laughs> and uh, we will figure out a way to make that a part of the 500th milestone for this podcast that we've had going for nearly 10 years. And, uh, you know, we would not have been doing it for so long if it were not for all of you lovely people out there listening to it. And we thank you very much for that. So for myself and for Jeremy and for LA and for Bronwyn and for Kathleen and for Ben, Mortal Kombat! Let's dance. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Thank everybody. And until, <laughs> until next time on the Talking Comics Podcast, to be continued with a K. Oh. Is it backwards? Is it backwards? It's definitely backwards. Definitely, definitely. Backwards. If it wasn't before, it is now. 